Hello, one and all. Welcome to a very special episode of the B-Side for the Film Stage. Here, as you know, we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today we're talking about Ethan Hawke, who I, I think, I'm not speaking at a school, is my favorite living actor. I feel like I've made that clear on the podcast over the years. I He's somebody I've followed closely ever since I was interested in movies. And so this is an exciting episode uh, because he's a guy whose career I deeply, deeply admire and love. Um, and for an episode of such pomp and circumstance, we're bringing on me and Connor, our good, good friend, our Sundance buddy, a man, a, a, a guy who I, I, I hope I see in two weeks when I'm in New York for work because I miss I miss him. And here he is. He's Luke Hicks. You know him from his writings all over the film, film world. He contributes to the film stage, many other outlets. He's a man about town, a raconteur. We love to have him. He might even be Ethan Hawke's neighbor. Luke, how Bernard. are you? Unconfirmed. Un- we haven't confirmed it. We can say he rumored, is... Rumored Ethan Hawke's neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Conf- confirmed here. I just got the text. <laughs> he is, in fact... Ethan Hawk's neighbor. What's up, Luke? How are you? I'm I'm doing very, very well. Thank you. Glad to be on the show. This has been long in the works. It has. It has. And I think this was one we kind of if I am not misremembering, it was one of those like, oh Luke, we should get you on. And then like we were like, who would you want to talk about? And you were like, let me think about it. And then one day out of the blue, you like messaged us and you were like, Ethan Hawke. And we were like, that, that feels right. That well, and you know what it was when Luke's, and it was one of those funny things, because we've done what, 90 of these or so, right? So we've yeah, done a few. Is, yeah, yeah. 91, I think. Like, so we've done a few, um, obviously. But when Luke suggested it in whatever messaging we were doing at that point, I remember I I read it and I was like, oh, what do we did, Ethan Hawke? And then yeah, I was yeah. like, and then I, then I looked and I was like, how did we? Yeah. Like how me me being half of this <laughs> podcast, how did we not get to this guy who like I so deeply love? I just was laughing. I was like, "Yeah, uh, Luke, yeah, we should fucking do it." <laughs> <laughs> um, should it should have been like our third episode? Uh, yeah, but here yeah. here we are. Surprised it wasn't. Yeah, I'm surprised too. I mean, um, I mean, well, he's so jolly. Luke, he's jolly the pimp, guys. I don't even. He's I love, jolly love that the performance. pimp. Love that performance. So, Luke, let me ask you. Um, you are you are a bit younger than Connor and I, so I'm just curious because I would imagine our inroads into Ethan Hawke might be different. What what did in your mind? What was like? What was the movie that introduced you to Ethan Hawke? Like, what was your first? Where you're like, oh, who's this guy? Mm, that's a good question. I maybe Gattaca. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I didn't watch Gattaca. Gattaca when I was, that was like 90s. Well, can I ask you a question? It's funny you say Gattaca. Gattaca yeah, yeah. is one of, and maybe I'm wrong here, but, you know, I went to public school. Connor went to Catholic school. I did. Mm-hmm. In the public in the public school system, um, just north of New York, where I'm from, the city, New York, um, I watched, they put Gattaca on in like, on like a, on like a sub teacher Friday. Mm-hmm. So like I definitely watched Gattaca in some high school called a science class. I don't know what it's, you know. Like it's a, funny. I watched it in high school for the first time too. I watched it in like a philosophy class. So okay. Yeah. So this is interesting. So Luke, yeah. you didn't watch it in some class, did you? I feel like I also watched it in oh, class. It's like I mean class. it's a good crash coursey kind no, of an ethics for that. Class. 
an ethics class that that would actually that's the most appropriate class probably unless you unless there was some in, in super impressive genetics class in high okay. school actually no i watched this in an ethics class in college and it was like okay. the fourth time i'd seen it so that yes count. yes well no but that's still i mean look i think gattaca obviously not a b-side certainly an a-side the andrew nickel film from the mid 96 i think uh the movie wherein um hawk meets thurman right um is a movie that has aged well, um, did not do well when it came out. Um, hefty, hefty budget for the subject matter didn't amaze, didn't, didn't, didn't do amazingly well, but was well received and is now beloved, right? You'd say by many and is a super, yeah, it's a super digestible, interesting, provocative movie, but it's like not too violent. It's not too sexual, right? There's like not too much in there. That you would feel like, oh, I can't put this on in a classroom, like, well, you yeah, know, whatever. Yeah, it's 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 a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's it's a lot to talk about. Yeah, exactly. I, like I mentioned, it's like a it is a good crash course for like maybe the most. And this is not a dig on the movie by any means, but like just a good crash course and like those the most basic questions of like, what does it mean to be human? Like what you know, like all yeah. All that jazz, but um, I am. Um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this before we press record. I think my entry point, and it's funny because this is not one of my favorite of his movies, though it's iconic, and I do like it. Um, I think it was Reality Bites because hmm. that was like a '94 I movie. See, I didn't see that until later. That was like a college movie. That's I saw that late. Yeah, yeah, I like recall it being on TV, and I would have been a kid, and I I always remember the My Sharona scene. Sure. Which is, you know, that's more Winona and Janine Garofalo just owning that scene when they're in the gas station and Marshawna comes on, they start dancing. And um, and I think in, in that scene, Troy, who's Ethan Hawke, as as with most of the movie, is begrudgingly standing in, in the corner <laughs> being like, I'm too cool for this. Borish Bor- would be the word. Which uh, that character is deep and interesting character. Um but he's great and he's super handsome. Um, but then, you know, you know, and this is obvious, right? I find, you know, you discover the Before Sunrise, Before Sunset movies. Before Sunset for me was like a turning point in my film education. Like that movie, it like reshaped how I looked at movies. It's still one of my favorite movies ever. I still remember the New Yorker review of that movie where I think it was, I want to say it was Anthony Lane. He called it like a small miracle. And I, I always agree with that. I'm talking about before sunset specifically. So that's kind of the, will always be. It feels you know. like staple, like romantic Hawk, which we get a lot of in like, Oh my God. Sure. But it's like, it does yeah. so much of that. Like Hawk who doesn't get the girl. Yes. But then right. Is getting the girl. But then always. eventually does yeah. get the girl. Connor, what, what was your, what was your first? Connor? Mine? I feel chronologically was probably explorers. Cause I feel like I just, that did you watch it as a kid? Did you watch it? Was, yeah, as a kid? it was like one of those ones that was like in rotation with like the Goonies and whatever. I, it was never an active thing I went to, which is why I sort of asterisk it with like that's probably technically the first one I saw. Yeah. Uh, but the first one I think I remember seeing was um, Dead Poets Society because one of my sisters had a big crush on Robert Sean Leonard. Who's who's in one of our movies? He's going to be. Yeah, we'll yep, talk yep. about him. And uh, and so I re- definitely remember Ethan Hawke from that movie. But I feel like I probably didn't. 
I probably I feel like I probably didn't function to Ethan Hawke like as an entity or an actor probably until training day like until like sure. I was someone who like was watching the Oscars and was aware of the movies that were get, you know like the just the entertainment weekly years RIP of like being a young person digesting movies and like you know being you are- aware of like adult movies I feel like training day was probably the first one where I was like oh this Ethan Hawke dude right like you're you're remind you're reminding me that I think I did see White Fang as a kid. Sure. Yeah. Which oh, he's yeah, in. Definitely. Yeah, because because there are two. There are two. There are two movies like that. One is with Ethan Hawke. It's yeah. called White Fang, based on the Jack London novel. And the mm-hmm. other one, which I liked way more, and I watch way more, is a little movie called Iron Will. Mm-hmm. And it's a dog sledding movie, I believe. And it's like I don't even know the act. The lead actor's name would have to look up, but I think Kevin Spacey's like a villain. Oh, I was going to younger say, Kevin Spacey. Iron Will feels like it was like Sawa or something. You know, Devin. I don't. Sawa. I think like, it's. It I think like it would have been something like. I that. think but he. I think the guy looks like Sawa, but I don't think it's Sawa. I'm looking it up as we yeah. talk. But anyway, real quick before we get too far into the episode, I just want to say that our four B-side movies today are um, Great Expectations from 1998. And did I skip one as immediately now? No, realizing? no, no, no. That's, no, I'm right, right? Okay. Good. Yeah, yeah. Great expect Alfonso Cuarón's Great Expectations from 1998 um, with him and Gwyneth. And then we go to... 99, Snow Falling on Cedars. 99, Snow Falling on Cedars. And then immediately after 2000, right? Tape. Mm-hmm. 2001. And then, no, 2001. Two, but, 2001, yeah. thank you. And then um, our final film, someone remind me, it's that I don't have it in front of me. We're doing, we kind of jump ahead to 2014... Oh, predestination. predestination. Yeah. Okay. So, and I actually read, I, I, in preparation for this, I read the Robert Heinlein short story. Oh, okay. Um, which was actually, which was fun to do. And, um, and yeah, and yeah, just, just, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil, but it was nice. These were, this was a nice quartet of B-sides to do because in I my mean, opinion. We really had our pick of the letter too. Like we could have, there are sure. like. You know, if you scroll through his filmography, there are like seven other movies we also could have talked about. But I was going to say, all of these, I found there's a lot to like in all of these movies to varying degrees. That's sure. how I felt about it, which which we can get into. Because, um, you know, Luke, we always kind of joke. It's a mixed bag, obviously. Like, we've done B-side, you know, like like with Roxana, right? We did mm-hmm. Paul Newman. And all four of the ones we picked, it kind of, we were laughing. We felt like, like, wow, this is really bottom of the barrel Newman. He's like an icon. And these are like four stinkers. Yeah. And I think I think with these four, it is a good distillation of, of Hawk, I think. It really is. Sure. Um, and just to, yeah. just to loop, uh, just to close the loop on Iron Will, his name is Mackenzie Aston plays will stoneman and let me tell you that will he's got an iron will his name's will and he's got an iron will um that movie by the way was a modest hit it made 21 million dollars i'm seeing which it's weird that not nothing mackenzie aston and will stoneman Uh, sound like interchangeable names like one of those could, be and if you the, look at the it poster, could be the character name, and it could be oh, totally, it could be. If you <laughs> if you look at the poster for Iron Will, he look he looks Connor like one of our faves, Eddie Burns, mixed with <laughs> Devin Soya. So he's got a little young Eddie, young Devin coming in. 
but we, um, we still have, okay, so, we still haven't done a burns, but we'll do we'll do burns. We'll do a burns. Yeah. We want to get him on. We almost had we almost got him on. Remember, we we were in the we almost had Eddie Burns on this podcast. God, I would have loved it. He we're, said, he and said, I think I mentioned this. He on said no this episode. I think we're. I think we're circling the drain on Hawk, if I'm being honest, you know, like we got all his buddies, yeah. you know, we got Steve Zahn, we got, we got Zahn, we got, got Vola, Vola. You know? so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ethan, we're, 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 ha- we're Hawk adjacent, for sure, <laughs> we're surrounding you, Ethan, so, yep. um, I was going to say, I was going to say, I'm in good company on this show, I looked at the last few hosts, I got like Adrian Brody and Joe Wright, Oh Rock yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. Really good so it's there. true. It's funny. You, you're. Yeah, it's true because it's. <laughs> We've been it's, building up to you, Luke. It's all <laughs> right, right. I know. I'm the finale. It's all been building. And even up to Joe Wright, us. yeah, Joe Wright. God bless him. He even said he was like, "When are you having Luke on?" And we were yeah. like, "Dude, I know. Yeah, it's coming, dude." <laughs> He's like, probably get that all the time. is a major influence <laughs> on me. Um, major, major. <laughs> so <laughs> great expectations. Um. We'll start there, and then we can, like, you know, uh, like Connor said. I mean, he, Ethan, I mean, we could do three Ethan Hawke B-side episodes, and there would still be plenty to choose from. The guys did, made a lot of movies. Just, we could pivot exclusively to an Ethan Hawke B-side. Well, and, and, and I'll Hawk say this, and I'll say this. Interestingly, I've seen m- the vast majority of his films. Um, I've read all, all, all of his books that he's written save the new the newer one right a bright a, a bright ray in darkness um and i've seen all of his directed movies right so so definitely try to um consume as much of his contents and and projects as i can that being said i was reminded going back kind of in preparation for this there are a few films um, that he made as a younger man that I still have yet to see. And like one that I watched literally today that I had never watched was his World War II movie, A Midnight Clear, mm. which is pretty good, actually. A little bit better than I necessarily thought it would be. Definitely a recommend um, in general. Directed by Keith Gordon, who is also an actor. His name is, um, his name is Will Not. Well, that's it's a, <laughs> name was will the, not in it. In the, in will the movie, you? That's, I will not. I will in, not. In, in, in the movie, that's part of the joke. His nick, you know what his nickname is? Won't they call him? Won't oh, pretty good, okay. pretty good. Okay. But just for example, right? Like a few because I've so so I've seen stuff like Dad, right? Which is kind of could be a B side. I've seen Waterland, pretty good movie, a Caleb Deschanel movie, I believe. Or sorry, well, that's Stephen the Gyllenha- Waterland Stephen, is Stephen, the one in Stephen Gyllenhaal. My Waterland bad. is the one in California, and then Waterworld is in Florida, <laughs> is in Orlando, Florida, right? Wow, you know what? That was good. <laughs> that was good. But but Waterland, Waterland is uh, interesting. But like, I haven't seen Alive. I actually never saw Alive. Really? Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen Alive oh, either. I, I, I my old, one of my older brothers Hot loved get. that movie. So I feel like that was like a it was like a, a regular rental. Frank Marshall, if I believe, yeah, directed a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always meant to watch Floundering, which was like the other Gen X movie the same year as um, Reality Bites. So there's a couple I haven't seen early on, but then after once he starts popping, I'm kind of I'm kind of watching all of them, you know. So um, he's a he's a he's a child actor, right? Co-stars with uh, Young River Phoenix in Explorers, which was a Joe Dante movie that underperformed, uh, like unfortunately most Joe Dante movies, um, though most are good. Um, 
And then, yeah, and then he kind of becomes, he's in a bunch of stuff. Dead Poets is is like an early iconic role, iconic ending scene. He's kind of the center of, uh, you know, uh, other than obviously Robin Williams. And um, like we said, Robert Sean Leonard's in that. They, they, they act together early on um, in that troupe that we talked with Steve Zahn about, actually, right? So, like, yeah. they are all together, and then they reconnect Robert Sean Leonard and Ethan Hawke in tape, which we'll talk about. But Great Expectations, right? I think with, a, with, with, all, with these three first movies, you're finding Ethan Hawke about to be as big as he will be as a movie star. Right. Like just mm-hmm. to give a context. So like he he's he gets kind of his cool card in reality bites. He gets like a modest indie hit with Before Sunrise the year later. He gets a in 97. He gets Gattaca, which doesn't do amazing well, but is well liked. And then he's getting shots, right? He's in the Newton Boys with McConaughey, right? Like he, he's in Great Expectations, he's in Snow Falling on uh, Cedars, he's and then ultimately Training Day, where he's next to Denzel and he gets an Oscar nomination. Unfortunately, all those other movies I just mentioned they do underperform, right? So, yeah, I was gonna say I feel like that oh because Training Day was what oh four, right? No, oh one, oh one, oh one. Sorry, I, I was gonna say I do think that like that period might to your point i guess be the peak right like the tra- the culmination of training day and then even a couple years later having well yes the studio studio wise i think the the peak of like oh ethan hawk leading a movie sure is probably assault on precinct 13 right because right. it's this like this is like his this is his colin farrell period where he's like a little bit yeah a little he's bit. like he's like he did like you know, define colin farrell period because i think well of like, him the, is just like, like so colin farrell does, prolific. Ti- does tiger land, <laughs> right and, and well, yeah, yeah. It, you know colin farrell does tiger land with joel schumacher and it's this sort of like quiet indie success type thing where they're like, Ooh, who's, who's mm-hmm. this guy. And then who's this guy. Yeah. And then he just has this run in the two thousands where he's just like in, well, he's in like the rec- he's in like the recruit. The things, right? He's in SWAT. He's in phone booth. He's in, and they all mm-hmm. kind of and Alexander, like all leading up to Miami vice. Right. Kind of thing. Like it's this like crescendo of just, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the and shots, then, you know, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what right, Connor's right. kind of saying is then, when you get to Alexander and Miami Vice, it kind of crumbles. They don't do that well. And 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 then Farrell kind of becomes the actor we know now, which is like a little bit more interesting, taking more interesting roles and in more interesting movies. Yeah. Kind of more yeah. more or less avoiding the total recalls, you know, um mostly, right? Obviously. I rewatched that. The Farrell Not total good. recall. Do you know what's <laughs> Not so fu- good. do you know what's so funny? So do, you, do you know who's in the director's cut? <laughs> Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Ethan Hawke, yeah, I just saw that on his yeah. filmography. I'm like, I do not remember no, Ethan yeah, Hawke. Yes. In he's in like watching. a he because he is Douglas Quaid. Yeah, he's like the yeah. real Douglas Quaid. And so in the director's cut, there's like a scene where there's a recording where mm. Ethan Hawke's like, "Hey, Colin Farrell, <laughs> this shit's about to get crazy." It's me, dude. Ethan. <laughs> it's me, Ethan. Um, I wish we were. <laughs> more prominently in a movie together i don't think they have they ever they've never i don't think that, they have in a movie and it, that actually, yeah, now that so. you said it it really does feel like I'm let it let pretending. it happen yeah but so anyway great expectations let me just say full disclosure 
This is one of my favorite films ever made. This is in my top. If you look at Rightly my favorite. Rightly so. Oh, thank you, Luke. See, this is why we bring Luke on. Yeah. So, so Great Expectations, <laughs> the Quran movie, if you go to my favorite films letterbox thing, my ranking, it it's literally like 19. It's a movie I love deeply. Like when I watched it a million times when I was younger, I think I taped it on a, you know, on like an old tape off of AMC um and like would just rewatch it like i love this movie i love gwyneth in it i obviously love ethan hawk i love the whole style um i've read about it right art linson produced it um it was part of his five picture fox deal that he writes about in his book what just happened it did it obviously totally got obliterated in the box office nobody liked it alfonso Cuarón himself speaks ill of it now which I just ignore because he's just so wrong. Yeah, but he, he and Lubeski, he and Lubeski like both hate it. Absurd. It's absurd. Yeah, and I don't want to. Yeah, but but you got to remember, yeah. he's coming off of a little princess, which is like a nice hit for him, and he's he's in that pocket of like, oh okay, like all right, Alfonso, like here's a little bit of cash, like let's make a cool movie. It's the '90s; it was a different time. You could actually do that, and he really like tries some crazy shit with this. Um, adaptation of great expectations in which like they they ultimately get david mamet to do an uncredited um adding of all the voiceover that ethan hawk does that david mamet wrote that which i think weird i normally wouldn't say this with stuff like this it works i think helps i think yeah i I think it is an improvement because i do think it helps well it's a it's well because it's a messy movie it's so 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 the quick we don't we don't need to explain the product plot of great expectations but basically they take the bones of the dickens classic and they just they move it to florida and then ultimately new york in which pip is now finnegan bell played by ethan hawk and he is a poor boy living kind of in the marshland if you will of south florida and in the first scene of the movie encounters um, the criminal who is played by Robert De Niro in a quite memorable role. Um, and his name in the movie is um, Lustig, Arthur yeah, Lustig. Arthur Lustig. And um, so that happens, that happens not unlike the book very early on it. He, he helps, he helps Arthur Lustig escape, but then he's ultimately caught but it informs kind of the rest of his life. Meanwhile, his sister, young Kim Dickens, runs out on him and his kind of de facto stepdad, played by Chris Cooper. And he gets a kind of surprise job, Finn does, at the local crazy rich hermit woman. Um, well, you know, how, you know how you have those? You know, you yeah, all had one, right? The local, yeah, everyone's crazy. got the we local crazy rich Herman We all had a Dinsmore, you know. Everyone's got a Dinsmore, and so Miss Miss Dinsmore, uh, uh, you know, swapped out for Havisham, right? Is and Bancroft in a performance that I mean, look, iconic. Yeah, like I, I play, love play, her. Plays in this it to movie. the plays it to the rafters. Like she should have so been nominated. It's a crime she wasn't. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, you know the story from here. Her niece is Estella, and she is literally coaching Estella and how to break the hearts of any man she comes into contact with. You know, and she learns how to do it 
on Finn. And that young girl grows up to be Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, Finn can paint. He goes to New York, gets a mysterious um, benefactor that basically pays his way into galleries in New York. And he becomes a fast star thanks to the money paying for good publicity. And he encounters Estella and he encounters Dinsmore and he encounters Lustig. And it's all about, right? The, it's all about, you know, it's, it's the Dickens thing, right? It's about the poor and the rich and it's about class and it's about what does it mean? And it's about how to, you know, do you, how do you not lose your soul? And, you know, what does it really mean to be, you know, one way or the other, you know, lofty stuff. And it's very messy. The The voiceover carries it through. Um, I think it was a tough production. Um, I, yeah, ultimately, I don't think anybody, I, I don't think many people liked the final results. Um, and it's a shame because it's just a movie that, I mean, Luke, what do you, if you love it, I'm going to let you talk for all. What do you think about it? Was this, Luke, was this your first oh, time? Oh, yeah, I mean, movie? I... Yeah, this is my first time watching it. So it was like kind of kind of rocked me, to be honest. Um, I like so many things to say about it. One, we get so many different Ethan Hawks in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like we get a shark hunter version of Ethan Hawk, yeah, which I'm get... assuming we don't get for the rest of Ethan Hawk's career. <laughs> we... And he's like we... vicious for his one shark hunting montage, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's like truly from the very opening with like like de niro situated in the weeds with the crooked camera and all those like cross dissolves into the water and like it's just like the whole thing is really rapturous from the start like i i was shocked when i like figured out 20 minutes had already passed um i didn't know that corone had like disowned this movie that like makes me very sad especially as someone who like did a little princess and then went on to do like prisoner of azkaban like it just doesn't seem it, like he would disown. It feels right in a kids it feels, movie. Yeah, 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 it's like his thing. I mean, the fact that Ethan Hawke doesn't even come in for like thirty minutes, like he really leaned into that aspect of the movie, and he didn't really have to. Yeah, yeah, and, but yes, yeah, and I think, and you get things that don't always happen. And you, you're kind of saying this: you get things that don't always happen, like pretty good child performances, right? Like, sure. um. Yeah, you get it feels confident, right? It's weird because I, I like it kind of reminds me this is a bit maybe a little silly, but it kind of reminds me of Heaven's Gate in that in 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 that messy movie. Yeah, sure. Right, lo- lofty ambitious film. Um trouble Which like isn't a bad thing. Well, the, but this I feel is like, like yeah, this ambitious is a- films is like becoming or maybe it's always been a little more rare so it's like nice to get something that's ambitious even if it's like flopping in some ways which i don't think this is but still no i know no and you're preferred. right this, yeah this is kind of yeah. what i'm saying like heaven's gate obviously much maligned but like to go back and watch it right if you watch the criterion you know uh version right let's say it's a beautiful movie right it's a beautiful movie for for any flaws that you want to point out critiques that you want to make and there are plenty it really works, right? It really works. It's 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 a movie I love, and I think th- this is similar in the sense of you can pick the flaws, like the wig that Ethan Hawke wears got a lot. Yeah, of oh my the god, such right? a simple so Jack funny. wig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, hilarious. But, but to me, right, and that was they e- didn't even get like the color right. But 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 Ethan Hawke d- demanded he. This is in the What Just Happened book. 
he insisted on wearing that wig. He would not wear another wig. And I think, look, why? I, here's the thing. In its own weird way, it works in that movie, right? I, it's so it I agree. feels yeah. I yeah. I totally agree, and this is something that you know I hadn't seen this movie I think until you and I became friends in college, and you introduced it to me. And this is something that you and I have often who who else would have done it? No, right, who else right. would have done true. it? And I think this is something that you and I have often joked about because I hate the wig, and I think it's insane. That said, on a rewatch because I have not watched this movie in a very long time. I I was struck by, like I mentioned before, how well the voiceover actually helps it. And it, it I think it helps it a little bit more on a second viewing because literally what Art Linson hires David Mamet to do is basically write something quasi poetic to tell the audience, hey, what you're going to watch is not real. Right. Like it's a version. Right. Of the a, opening is there is a way that things are. Right. He's basically yeah, saying there's a way that things it's are. It's like the, and, and the Moby Dick opening. Are, yeah. yeah. There's a way that things are and there's a way that things feel as they're remembered. And what I'm going to tell you is the latter. It's how I remember right? it. Yeah. And that I, I liked the way this movie felt to me the first time I saw it, regardless. Because, again, like you said, Luke, like it is rapturous. Like it just if you allow it to take you, it'll take you. Right. But mm -hmm. on a rewatch, I was like, oh, wait, like that granted it. you, Yeah, it is a technically a narrative band aid or whatever, but it really does make all the style in the movie work as substance. Like when you when you then start yeah. to look at it that way and even the wig, which I don't know if this is how you were looking at it, Dan, but this is how it struck me in watching it. I was like. Oh, the wig is perfect because it's exaggerated and it's terrible. And like all you're going to remember about this embarrassing moment as a teenager is like, oh, man, I had like that shitty jacket and I had the bad hair. Well, and, and I like, think and, and, and it works and it works because in the next scene that Luke was talking about earlier, where he's like shark hunt, shark hunter Ethan. He maybe Ethan Hawke in his whole career has maybe never looked hotter. Hot, right. It is. I, so, I so made a joke tweet about this, but it is like <laughs> one of the definitive Ethan Hawke glow ups in a movie. Like, yeah, because it's like he he's he's a total you know nerd loser yeah. gets totally you know humiliated. He, he by, looks like a dork. He just looks like yeah, a dork. and he gets humiliated yeah. by Estella for the fortieth time. Yeah, and she kind of you know there's it's a very sexy scene they have where essentially. Right, right as they're about to be adults and go on with their lives, right? Young Gwyneth Paltrow and young Ethan Hawke with the wig. You know, Dinsmore, you know, is like, Estella, take him to this dance. And she's like, okay, like, I don't want to do this, but fine. Like, you know, wear a suit. I'll see you later. And then ultimately they wind up back at um, Ethan Hawke's place and they have a seductive kind of a two-minute dalliance that she just walks away from right? yeah kind what, of the what would essentially amount turn. to what you would think of would be foreplay right like it's like sure like you, you think that's where it's going to go and then she sort of just abruptly and that's the whole and, and that's right. and if you were like if you read the book and all the i mean you know in in the in, in dickens's way i mean this is all i personally think it's very i mean i i i it's a radical adaptation i guess but in terms of like emotional um, application, I'd actually think it's a pretty honest adaptation, right? Like, like you think uh, it captures the spirit of the thing. As yeah, well. I mean, I'm a, look, I, this is one of my favorite books. I love the David Lean version. I've seen many of the versions. 
this is obviously my favorite version because I do think it captures what's in that book in a way that few adaptations of of books, you know, film to book adaptations can really capture. Um, anyway. And then that next scene where he's like, I elected to grow up and he's on the boat with Chris Cooper and he's smoking cigs, he's drinking yeah. beers, he's grabbing the shock of the thing. And you're like, I would fuck this guy. No, Are you he's kidding like, me? He's like like this Florida guy. He's like, like hot, just, scruffy yeah. artist, Ethan Hawke. And like, yeah. yeah. It's like kind of got some Bayou vibes. Hell, yeah. deep <laughs> right. Bayou vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kidding? Like, yeah. Like he, look, like he looks like he smells. Right. Yeah, but and but, but you kind of would, like, would like the weird smell. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. So, um, yeah, so I mean that's all you know. He like I said, he winds up in New York, and and then it yeah it becomes this thing of like he kind of momentarily thinks his shit doesn't stink, you know. And this is where I feel like this this is where the criticism of the movie can really flourish, and I just kind of choose, frankly, to ignore it because I don't think it matters. But like all of the beats in the back half feel very rushed, which is mm. where you get the choppiness. Which I totally understand if it doesn't work. Yeah, for especially people. the the De Niro portion. Mm. Sure, right, right, of course. Yeah. Um, though I just I have whisper, to say, whisper, whisper, whisper. Yeah, yeah. The De Niro <laughs> performance, and not unlike Bancroft, it's like, yeah, it's great. These are just great actors. Just that being whole, like, oh yeah, and I, I love the performance. I, for, yeah. I just I feel like it could have been paced and then when he in looks such at the a way painting, that he he at least looks at the yeah. painting and he's like, you did think about me a little yeah. bit. You're and like, yeah. Oh, that guy's guy handsome. I love the I love the. And again, to your point, Dan, I think you know maybe the criticism is justified, and maybe it's sure. just because we like this movie that we're just going to choose to ignore it. It, you could call it tonally inconsistent and you wouldn't be wrong. But to me, particularly when De Niro reemerges and I, what spoiler spoilers, I guess, or whatever, <laughs> but like when De Niro reemerges as the, as the benefactor, like the, the thing of like that whole scene playing out and the way that it's scored, we haven't talked about the score to this movie yet. It rules. Beautiful. The score Beautiful. of this movie is incredible. Yeah, it's also littered with a bunch of like, you know, 90s needle drops, too, which I think I think your mileage may vary depending like I like them. I think it's fine, but I could see someone watching it now and being like, eh, no, thanks. You know, um, but that scene where De Niro kind of reemerges, I think it, it's played with such sort of alarming menace that you really don't. No, like you really don't know how it's going to go. I mean, like I did because I've seen the movie and obviously, you know, like and I suppose to some degree, if you read the book, you might know. But like generally, well, just generally for speaking, context. It, yeah. Right. That he Finn slash Pip. Right. Thinks that Dinsmore slash Havisham is the is the benefactor. Right. Because he's just like. Oh, you're sending me. You're sending me to New York. Estella's in New York. You knew about my painting and my drawing, right? It has to be you. You're the only rich person I know, right? And kind of in the book, that's a similar thing, right? Like he's like, it has to be Havisham, right? And then of course, as in the book, as in the movie, the reveal is this criminal is the one because of this act of kindness who has bequeathed every penny he ever made legal or otherwise to the future and success of this, of this boy, now a man. Right. So 
they drop all that on you really quick right where it's like you know it's like (laughs) he has this kind of final encounter with dinsmore which is another great scene where it's like where i imagine him aircraft being like hey alfonso can i get one more take i think i can i can go a little i can go a little bit crazier and then that <laughs> that, that take with the camera's like looking up the stage like what yeah. am i yeah. like, <laughs> um and um but like even that but even that scene where she go where he goes up to her i mean it, this is the thing like i saw this movie in theaters i feel like i've said this before on the podcast a you few saw years this ago in theaters i saw this in theaters they oh, were not doing when it, not when it came out no 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 oh, okay. like a few okay. years ago at um at Lincoln Center, Jordan. I was like good for good for fifth grade Dan. Or, I was or whatever. Yeah, I, was, yeah. <laughs> I was lucky enough to see a, a Little Princess and Great Expectations back to back. They were doing a cure on uh, retrospective, and I was in Lincoln Center watching this movie, and like all these like snobby cinephile people were in the audience, like snickering at Great Expectations while it was playing, and I'm in the middle of the. I'm just crying. Like for like thirty five percent of the movie, like any scene, I was just, I was just like, oh my god, I'm watching it on the big screen, and so like, and like everybody else is like, you know, elbowing their buddy, be like, yeah, fucking, we all. He said it was a piece of movie, stupid, and I'm like, these people are idiots. But like when Ethan Hawke, um, puts her hand on his heart, right, which she does at the beginning of the movie, and he's like, feel that? That's my heart, and it's broke. That's a great. It's it could. It should be so corny, and it for some reason is not. Yeah, right? I mean, and it I is. Think- it's yeah. It's certainly. I, I, again, like, I don't know if I would begrudge anybody thinking that it is because I understand it is extremely like this movie's so earnest, right? Like, yeah. And I and I think if that look if that's not what you're ready for then yeah then it's just not going to work and and look that that's the way you know that's the way the chips fall but like i don't know if you like i said if you're if you're ready to like get swept up by this movie it does a hell of a job in doing that like it's yeah it's very tasteful melodrama it's yes. not like well yeah. said well said i don't know well it's done. like it's like hitting the perfect like pitch of 90s melodrama and like laying everything on so thick yeah like even the costumes like that really silky the, the green moment. dress is like iconic in its own way and like the cigarettes and martinis oh, and like green dress. the way hank azaria is just all of it like it's so lush love hank azaria in this yeah well, and for and for us, I think for a story all about class, and this is something like Ethan Hawke initially resisted taking this role because he had kind of thought that if you were going to update Great Expectations with with all its, you know, with all its commentary on class, that you know the 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 lead should probably be a person of color at the very least, right? Like if you're really gonna like, you know, call out that dichotomy. Obviously, that's not what they did, but I do think, all things considered, I think they do a pretty good job of the way that they, you know, depict those things. Again, everything's, as we said, like everything's heightened, right? And everything's sort of a- well, Gwyneth. I think Gwyneth, um, I think Gwyneth Paltrow is deserves a lot of credit for that because she is so ethereal in this movie. I mean, sure. this is the same year as Shakespeare in Love. She's about to win her Oscar. I mean. I, look, I don't want to get overly hyperbolic, but like the way that Lubeski f- like 
films her in this uh, movie. Yeah. Like I would, ar- I don't know that so I've cool. seen a more beautiful person in a movie. Like I mean, yeah, it there seems are, there are... like a, the perfect human being. Like, it's insane. Shoot, shoot it. And yeah. then when you and then when you remember that her and Brad Pitt briefly dated, it's weird. The world <laughs> like the, the earth didn't stop oh spinning God. when like yeah. like during that mid nineties they were both like impossibly beautiful. You're like, wait, so did when people they had the just same like haircut? yeah. Well, yeah, they looked exactly the same. I just think so. When they re meet in New York at the water fountain, you know, which is what you're talking about, Luke, and she looks incredible. I mean, like, there are shots in that scene of her that will take your breath away. And so they, she really does represent this unattainable thing, which is what Estella is obviously meant to represent, at least in certain yeah. parts of the narrative, is meant to represent. And I think it's, um, and just even you know, as the movie progresses, like just the way it culminates all of the things it has going for it, whether it's Lubeski or the score, like the moment, the moment in the rain when the score just like really hits. And we should say Pat, Patrick Doyle did the music. We should just <clears throat> yes. give him credit. Yeah. Yeah. When that, Incredible. when that score like really hits, um, when they finally kind of come together in the rain, it's it to your, yeah, to your point, Luke, like, yeah, it's melodramatic, but it just like, I don't know. Like I, I would, my wife and I were watching it and I just audibly was like, this movie's the fucking best. Like it's, it's just so like, good. It, it, and, and it just, and it's not, and, and look, it, it, you know, you, you don't want to harp on this too much, but I, I know we do. It's also just not a movie that you would, you know, who makes it now, who puts it out, you know, that's like a whole nother part of it. I mean, we should just say also, cause you mentioned the soundtrack, you're getting songs from Tori Amos, yep. right? Like you said, Connor, Chris Cornell, the Verve Pipe, God bless, <laughs> fucking Iggy Pop, uh, Scott Weiland, right? Like, you know, um, very much kind of to your point that time. Because Scott wasn't Scott Weiland was um, Stone Temple Pilots, right? Yes, correct, correct. He was the lead singer of Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. Yes, I loved. Let me tell you, '90s, early 2000s, <laughs> Young Dan. Loved, L- loved STP. Loved, loved <laughs> STP, dude. Loved them. Um, yeah, he died. Forty-eight. Yeah, sad. He died. Um, and that's kind of. I mean, look, that's great expectations. Like we said, it doesn't do particularly well. The the um the budget is, and I think this is actually. I I should reference what what just happened. Uh, the book, but ultimately they really push it. It kind of disappoints. And um, this this for Art Lintz and the producer comes right before Fight Club, which kind of does the same thing, right? If you remember Fight Club, obviously iconic now, but when it comes out, it's cost a decent amount of money and not a lot of people see it. And it's a controversial picture and ultimately kind of, it takes a while for that movie to kind of become the the dorm room, you know, uh, sensation that sure. it now is. We um, should also mention it comes out in January of 98. So yeah. it is it is loom it is lo- living in the very large shadow and wake of Titanic. Right. So that's a good which, point. Which is, you know, can't can't go understated. Like uh, many, like many, like many films did. Um yeah. but I think just particularly for a sweeping romance, yeah. Like it just it it kind of just never really stood. It is case. an iconic. It is an iconic poster with uh, Gwyneth mm-hmm. kind of, yeah, laying uh, for for a pose with people. Man, around Titanic her. is like the only movie that could make the scope of Great Expectations seem small. 
right right exactly it feels so epic outside of the context right and you i mean you just have to wonder if it comes out in 96 or if it comes out in 2000 Mm -hmm. or whatever and what's funny connor that you say that because so it's funny too because titanic is a fox movie but technically a paramount movie yeah right because for anybody listening who doesn't know this Fox quite famously hedged in the 11th hour on Titanic because it went so far over budget and everybody was so convinced it was going to like bankrupt the studio that in People the 11th thought it was hour, be like a heaven's gate scenario. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so Fox turned to Paramount and said, Hey man, you want distribution rights and maybe you stop some of this bleeding for us. And like, you should, you, you take a percentage, you distribute you know distribute the movie what have you and paramount's like yeah and that was like obviously one one of the biggest mistakes this you know fox made right in terms of just that was it then became the biggest movie in the world so that was the joke when avatar was coming out and people were saying the same things about avatar before avatar came out fox was like not fucking doing shit dude we trust we trust games <laughs> and i'll tell you what they were right there and they're gonna be right about avatar too anyway um even though it's disney now so and different five. different type of deal and five um but not four luke we can agree not four. three or no, four. avatar four looks like shit it's gonna <laughs> dip before it goes back up. three and four are gonna suck no um mm-hmm. so like we said immediately the next year is snow falling on cedars. And I guess what's funny about going from Great Expectations to snow falling on the, uh, cedars is these are two, I would argue, of the most beautiful films in the 90s, right? Like Lubezki, what he's doing in Expectations, stunning. Snow falling on cedars is one of the most beautifully lens movies I have ever it's seen. So Robert, gorgeous. Robert, 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 Robert Richardson, Robert who's, Richardson. Quint, who's Quentin's guy. Um and a lot of he's he's a living legend, obviously. Um, he does some. I always think with with Richardson, the thing I always think of with Richardson is uh, the overhead lighting, right? Like his his whole harsh spot stuff, which he does a lot with Tarantino, but he does here too. It's pretty yeah, iconic. Yeah, there's a lot of that here. You know, whereas like Lubezki, obviously you have that kind of luminescent naturalism, which he's doing in Great Expectations, obviously perfects with Malick, but like stunning movie. I would say, unfortunately. Then there is also the rest of the movie <laughs> is not um, particularly energetic. Let's say this is Scott Hicks directing. Um, Hicks, yeah, he's Luke. Con- Luke's uncle. He- Represent yeah. yes. Luke's Luke's uncle, uncle um, brother, Scott Hicks. Yeah, yeah, old brother, old brother Hicks. He's coming <laughs> off of getting Jeffrey Rush an Oscar for Shine. Um. And Ethan Hawke himself, and if I could find this quote, because I I, I re- remember hearing this in an interview many years ago. I will put it into the, the story notes here. But Ethan Hawke himself said that it's one of the most beautiful movies he's ever seen, but like there might not be a more boring movie he's ever been in. And I think there's some truth to that. I think it is one of my favorite books. I will say the David Gutterson book is a book that I love a lot. And um can and I ask you a question about that, Dan? Yes, please. What yeah. is like the structure of the book? <laughs> so if I'm remembering, it was it's been 20 years since I've read the book. Or was, yeah, high school, so 15 years, I guess. Um, but oh god, I'm old. Um, but um 
if I'm remembering, it's not it's not overly complex in its structure, right? It's it's basically like I I want to say in feel free to correct me here if I'm wrong, uh, listener. If you if you've read the book, um, it's kind of framed around the court case, which I guess the movie, so, yeah, the ost- movie kind of does that too. ostensibly the movie does that. Gets I mean, there, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I yeah, I think. The movie doesn't really do anything. I think it's an interesting movie to watch. Like it, it, it would be interesting to teach. I was thinking about this. It would be interesting to teach Snow Falling on Cedars in a film class and kind of talk about editing, right? Because I think what you run into with Snow Falling on Cedars is I really think you can watch that movie and and truly be like, what was that about? <laughs> like I actually think you you could get to the end of that of Snow Falling on Cedars and be like, wait, so. Okay, he got, you know, I, I guess we won't spoil it, but, but it's, the, it's about it's about Hawk not getting the girl, that, like yeah, the rest which, of them. Yeah, but <laughs> um, but awkward. So the the quick the quick 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 premise is essentially, um, we're in the aftermath of World War Two in on a fictional island off the Pacific Northwest coast of the United States, and. Uh, it's a high Japanese population live there and they're still reeling from the internment that the internment camps that happened in the aftermath of Pearl Harbor, which all very much happened in real life. Right. So uh, what did they call them? They called them like, like, yeah, uh, war relocation centers. Yeah. Is that what it was? Something, something horrible something like, like that. that yeah, yeah. Something, uh, um, and basically, um, Rick Yoon. He is being tried for murdering um, a fellow white, or I guess is Rick Yoon a sailor? I can't. I guess not. But but his his neighbor is a, is a is a fisherman who is found dead on his boat, and Rick Yoon was the last person to see him alive. And the beginning find- is pretty like Twin Peaksy. It is like the way it all starts, like small town murder investigation found yeah, Richard in the water. Jen- Richard Jenkins and Zach Orth find them. Yeah, it's yeah, a, like it's Richard a pretty Jenkins compelling, could be like in Twin Peaks. Fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it's and it's a stunning movie, and, and, and like opening shot too. That opening shot of just like the, the slowly yeah. appearing. Yeah, like and it's so dim too. Even when it finally appears. Yeah, yeah and especially so when dim. you know, and this is kind of another bummer with the movie where if it was more clear in its structure, it even that opening shot even means more because that, that light and all the stuff about it ends up being mm-hmm. the linchpin for the whole yeah. case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so it kind of sucks that like, you don't really, like if you weren't really watching this movie, you would be like, wait. Um, but anyway, point is, so he's being tried for murdering this, this fisherman. And, there's a history that involves um, the the fisherman's family, and they essentially seven acres of land took the land from Rick Yoon's family. And was there, you know, was there um, motivation for the killing? And and that's all happening. Max von Sydow is like the progressive lawyer in town, defending um, Rick Yoon, and then. Um, uh, James Reborn. You have J- James Reborn is the uh, is the prosecuting attorney, and then 
You also have Crom- who's the judge? Cromwell. Cromwell, James which, Cromwell. Is, which is confusing. Yeah. Having, having, yeah, having them in the same movie where they <laughs> is, I feel like they should be brothers. Uh, not unlike Gwyneth and Brad in '95. <laughs> it's a little like, okay, are we pushing yeah, like, something I, here? I'll say this: I don't know if you ever see Cromwell and Reborn in in the frame together. I don't think so I don't there's ever. Not, we still have included to. that they're two different. It's against the rules. <laughs> yeah, was there ever a wide enough t- a shot of? Uh, I don't know. Someone comes up to Scott Hicks and is like, "Don't do it. Don't you fucking." Do no it. one's sure they're not the same person. Yeah, that's exa- what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so basically, kind of as Luke mentioned, they kind of get to wrapping the framework of the story around the court case, but it takes them a while, and they never really do it. Yeah, because basically. The larger, um, the larger story is that Ethan Hawke plays Ishmael Chambers, who is um, a war veteran who has lost an arm and is kind of languishing in what he wants to do with his life. His father, played by the great Sam Shepard, ran the local newspaper and was essentially run out of business for defending the Japanese when they were being sent away. And so Ishmael is watching the case closely and then it's revealed he has more motivations and that's because he had had a young romance with Rick Yoon, who's his name's, Rick Yoon's character's name is Kazuo Miyamoto. He had had, Ethan Hawke's character had a young romance, first love with Yuki Kudo, who is Hatsui Miyamoto, who is Ricky. Kazuo's wife. wife. Right. So it's this thing of like Ishmael is begrudgingly investigating as as like the oft journalist that he is, and he finds evidence that might help Rick Yoon, but he's doesn't necessarily want to reveal it because maybe if Rick Yoon goes to jail, he can reunite with Hatsui and so there's plenty of provocative drama available, but Scott Hicks kind of very clearly chooses to avoid it. Yeah, which... he, he has a hard time like putting it on screen, which is really weird. Like, I like... just think he, I just think he fell in love with. I just think he fell in love with what Robert Richardson was no, giving no, him no, elsewhere. Cl- clearly, like you know what I mean. Like, it's it's a very confounding movie in that regard because like we also didn't mention like the James Newton Howard score is also incredible. Like, so there's a lot, you know, in the ether of this movie that's going on. There's also just like so many, like they're talking about so many things at once, like on top of this being something we don't really see on screen very much as like a post-World War II, like anti like Asian sentiment, like in America in a small town in the Pacific Northwest. But then it's also like you have all these Nordic immigrants and like Swedish immigrants as well. And mm-hmm. like that's definitely set up that way on purpose, you know, well, to show well, you like to these your point, two. Max von Sydow is, is exactly. A, yeah. Right. He's and the he's like in this position defending. Yeah. Right. Because he's a progressive. But really they're in the same position. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. He's, a prog- and he's actually quite lovely in the film. I'll say yeah, Max von Sydow. I, I like, would say he's, he probably, is. The best. he's, so he's lovely. probably the reason to watch it if you, if yeah. you were to watch it. But okay, another thing that's interesting about this though is that they like y'all like talking about the framework of the story. 
it feels to me or it felt by the end like it was very much a movie about the court case and the fact that it was all framed around Ethan Hawke. And then I was like watching this for an Ethan Hawke episode. I was like, <laughs> right, this feels like, like the, such a side white, project of this story. And it's like, I mean, even yes, but like even outside of that, it's just kind of like trying to make a stronger story or like not trying to lose people and like the wishy-washy romance of what feels like an off-screen character well, I'll half say the this. time. I'll, I'll say it's this. Just, it's just kind of it, like... Eh. It very much... It, it's in, you know, I hate the easy comparison, but it, it's so obvious. It's very much in the vein of a Terrence Malick movie, though less successful, I'd argue, right? Because I think you with Malick, you will have those things where it's like, oh, yeah, Ethan Hawke's in this movie. He doesn't really do much. But like what it, what it, whatever whatever magic Malick is able to distill, right, which is kind of his whole thing. You know, Hicks is just not able to do quite the same way, right? Like, you know, like if Luke Hicks directed it, yeah, who knows? <laughs> Every time you say Hicks, I'm like, yeah, what's up? But if, <laughs> but unfortunately, it was Scott Hicks. But, but you know what I mean? Because you have these like beautiful flashbacks of Hatsui and Ishmael as kids, and kids. you have Reeve Carney and Anne Suzuki playing those 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 roles. But they like barely have any lines. But it's beautiful. They're on the water. They're like in the the beautiful lush woods and you almost feel like you always feel like the filmmakers are just like can we just like make that movie and you're like well, yeah I guess they just we like can't. stop telling well, the story for a second no, I, yeah no 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 i'm glad you guys said that because i i kept uh, the i i the one note i took on this movie was literally just one word that i like offhandedly wrote down and it was distracted like this movie just feels it feels distracted, distracted right like from and not even because, again, I, I haven't read the source material, so I can't really speak to what the book is concerned with. But it it's just one of the it's a it's like just a prime example of like it doesn't do a good enough job figuring out what makes the genre of like courtroom drama good. Right. So it doesn't figure that out. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. it also doesn't pay enough attention to, like Luke said, the the Rome the Ethan Hawke romance of it all to be a sweeping romantic drama and so it just does nothing and you're just kind of like well all right like you're like caught in between stories yeah yeah exactly and it's kind of you know the, so Gutterson's novel if I like is it about the snow or is it about the cedars or is it about the, the, falling? Falling. the falling I think it's about the falling what we learned was the falling was the friends we made along the way. Because, <laughs> um, you know, Gutterson's novel, I would say, you know, like if you if you ever if you ever read like Richard Russo, right, like there's a lot going on. There's a lot of characters. There's kind of a lot of backstory, but it's all serving a purpose where it, like there is a connective tissue. And that is what's happening in, in the novel Snow Falling at Cedars, right? You have this historical context. It is well researched. So you right? have seen the movie. So you that this is the, this is that movie. Yeah. So you have That's seen I served a dime for what? Well, I I taped Snowfall. The, you what, go to jail for taping an Ethan Hawke. Shitty Hawk Ethan Hawke. So Hawk you movie. have seen the movie, Jamie <laughs> uh, Foxx. Um, but but yeah. Okay, so, I gotta go, I gotta go. say though, I I think I'm I'm not with y'all on the pace of this movie. Like there are certainly parts of it that I feel like could be worked on it worked for you it worked for you the pace. but generally yeah i would say i was very into like the slow like, sure I, I feel like it was pretty distracted and like either should have been reframed or maybe like 
more emotionally focused on someone. But yeah, there is definitely something to be said about trying to create a different framework of like, we're not really focused on one thing. We're like weaving in and out of different spheres of this like little town as we like go through this really convoluted and complex event that ranges from everything to like tiny little personal love to, to world war two, you know? And I like, like and, I don't and know, to your me. point, no, and to your point, actually, and I was thinking this rewatching and I think I actually bumped up my score because of this actual exact thought, not unlike great expectations to a lesser degree. I did like the idea of, of, of Scott Hicks and everybody else. I suppose being like, you know what? We don't want to make, to kill a mockingbird in the Pacific Northwest, right? We, right. we don't want to make, you know, an historical fiction courtroom drama. Like we have access to these beautiful locations, you know, and these beautiful, beautiful people. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's just do that. And and there is something, um, at, there's something to admire about that for sure. Because I think certainly if you think like, oh, bummer, I really wanted the courtroom drama about the, you know, the wrongly accused guy, it's like, well, there's like 47,000 <laughs> yeah, of those. Yeah. <laughs> so go you could just go it. watch any of those. I, I guess that's where, where it falls short. <laughs> there's though. only, there's only one. There's only one of snow falling. Is it doesn't, it doesn't subvert that genre with anything else. Right. Like it does. I suppose. I suppose. That, that's yeah. like where the, I think the big problem is. Um, but I will say, I mean, I didn't, I, I was just based on its reputation. I was expecting to dislike this movie more. Sure. So was I. And I and I was I, expecting to think it was garbage. Yeah, and it's not it yeah. is certainly not. Like there is definitely to your point when we started, Dan, like there are things to like. It looks beautiful. The score well, not to look, look and the performances <laughs> are good. Like it's 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 all you but know, colors. For the most part. I mean, I hate to say this, but like colors like in <laughs> studio movies are like a gift from God. Like you're watching these movies. Like <laughs> so this movie's pretty so bluish and brownish, though. No, not, but come on. The, no, no, no. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a it very looks, particular it, kind yes, of like it's dark got color. color. But, it's got like. But a, what I'm yeah, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, it's controlled. When I, when I yeah. say colors, I'm not saying like oh the reds and the greens. I'm literally not saying the way like, Great the, Expectations is. Like Great Expectations is like lush. It's I, just like thoughtfully colored. I'm just I'm saying like the texture of the film. I mean, like I've only been to to the pacific northwest a handful of times and i've been to you know whatever the redwoods the ocean you know whatever once or twice but in my limited experience like they are distilling that world beautifully which is to say like of all the places in the united states that aren't i suppose alaska and hawaii right like the continental united states that area, that Pacific Northwest, it really is an alien place. Like if you go there, and I would say, and everybody should certainly go and 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 see it. It feels like a different type of thing in a very beautiful, kind of lush way. And I think this movie really captures that. Um, and it's just one of those things where when you watch these types of pictures, you're like, wow, yeah, like. This was a yawn for people in 1999. Yeah. And that's a little funny, right? Like where you critics are just like, <laughs> yeah. like nice try. Nice uh -huh. try, Ethan. Next. And I'm like, I'm watching it like, holy fucking shit. They shot yeah. it on film. 
<laughs> I know this would be such an exciting studio movie to have. Right? It really would. It would <laughs> get, I mean, like, it, this this stunned. movie. If this movie yeah. came yeah. out now, it would walk away with like nine Oscar nominations. <laughs> yeah. Like, but it would also be considered Oscar bait. Yes, even though right. like, I suppose like, we're doing like, like, oh, f- like it. We would say fuck off for different reasons. Uh-huh. Like it would. Yeah. But but Luke, you're right. But you're so right. Right. I bet I would. I I would. I think it was considered Oscar bait in 1999. Right. Like and mm-hmm. kind of dismissed as like. Like I'm saying, like kind of like, oh mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a little stodgy and whatever. And uh, sure, as we've discussed, I think there's probably some truth to that. But yes, it's just it's just funny. It's just it's just funny how things change. Is all where it's just like you look back and you go like, wow, there's we, a lot. We didn't know how here. good we had it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. which is obviously you know, look, we we talk about it all the time, and there's obviously plenty of positives that you can point to, but like, but certainly. For a thirty-five million dollar budgeted movie from nineteen ninety-nine, you know the 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 formal decisions are very impressive and and um and you know daring daring in their way, sure. you know which I think which is which is nice. Um, also, this was produced by Kathleen Kennedy, which this is so not a Kathleen Kennedy movie. Oh wait, Luke, you mean you mean the woman who ruined Star Wars? <laughs> the woman who ruined Star Wars. I don't even understand when I read the brief when I when I scroll past that stuff on Twitter, I don't even actually understand the context for it at all. So I don't actually know what I'm talking about, but I've just read that she did that. So I guess <laughs> Yeah, she did that. She, she must have they said it, it online. I've seen it on Twitter that she did it. Yeah. And also I will say another great movie poster that I remember as a young man loving. Mm. And maybe look, maybe that's why I love Ethan Hawke because like I was seeing on the blockbusters, his and face was just on posters. Gwyneth and him and his leading lady. You saw his face in, in a blockbuster, poster. and then you decided to turn towards the camera and say "to be or not to be." Uh, another movie could have done right. <laughs> Would we call that a B side. I don't. Would his Hamlet. I don't think. so. I feel like that's a B side. Yeah. Right? I, well, but. You got to My thing is like, is it a B side relative to Hawk? Right? Because I think when you, I think when people think of Ethan Hawk, I do underrated, think. underrated movie. The Michael yeah. Almerita uh, Hamlet. It's uh, pretty Hamlet good. is under is underrated. It's pretty yeah. good. You we we got three. I would argue from ninety to two thousand, we got three solid Hamlet. Three Hamlets. Because yeah, because we got we got the Zeffirelli Mel Gibson which. Is good, Has its though though not great. Obviously, yeah. we got the Brana Hamlet, which for my money is the best Hamlet ever made, and we got the Hawk Hamlet, which is similar to the Gibson, probably a little better. Like, kind of like Great Expectations in that way, actually, where it's like a very provocative modernization of of, yeah. of like an older text. Um, but yeah, I mean, in look, oh one, like we said is a big year for Ethan Hawke because he gets the nomination for Training Day. Training Day is a huge hit, obviously. It gets Denzel his Oscar, um, which he had won for Glory, but it gets him his Best Actor Oscar. Um, He's got that great speech, right? Because it's Portier gets his Lifetime Achievement Oscar that same night. Yes, it, that was going around when Sidney Poitier died. Right? Yeah, like, Denzel has that great thing where he's like, I've been chasing Sidney my whole career, and what do they do? They give one to him the same night. Like, Yeah, so good. Um, and you know, the, the, look, the thing with training day, of course, and this is obviously, I'm not this, you know, we're not going to, obviously that's an A side, but you know, the thing with training day is, oh, no, this is obvious. 
the X Factor in the movie is Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Right. Like if I did. Re- if, I haven't seen it in years, so I did rewatch it uh, in prep. If Ethan Hawke, if that character doesn't work, the movie doesn't work. Yeah. You know, because that's a very sweaty, convenient movie. I think it is iconic. I think it is basically very good. But Hawk has to really do jumping jacks to like get you to the end of that movie where you believe believe what's happened. And it's really all him, right? Like he's the one, you know, he's really the lead of the film, right? Because Denzel is like the chaos agent, right? And right. like I mean, this could be a good segue, but that's like basically tape. You just like that kind is of basically tape. tape. Yeah. That's basically yeah, tape. Yeah, except unfortunately he has to act with Robert Sean Leonard instead of <laughs> hey now. Denzel Washington. <laughs> Watch out, house heads. Turn off turn off the podcast. All you house heads. All you all speaking you... of speaking of Denzel, all you all you much ado heads. Uh, oh yes, right? of course they're in it Robert together. Sean and Denzel and now is that Robert? Is that Robert Sean and Kate Beckinsale are the young lovers? Correct, right? In Much Ado, and that's uh-huh. Brana as well. Here, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that. I mean, look, that's the iconic. That's the iconic. Keanu and Denzel. There's that. No, there's. I feel like that was going around not too long hotness. ago. That that yeah. that that shot of all them walking down the corridor, and it's. I mean. Robert Sean Leonard, say what you will about the range or whatever. Handsome guy, very, handsome guy. Very handsome man, right? <laughs> so it's literally like Robert Sean Leonard, Keanu, Denzel, just walking down that corridor, just looking hot as hell. Kenneth Kenneth yeah. knew what he was doing, that's for sure. Kenneth did. So yeah, I mean, Luke, you want to set tape up for us a little bit? So this is this is Linklater. In Link his, later, yeah. In his pocket of... You want to pop in the ooh, tape? A, ooh, a cam, ooh, a camcorder? That's, literal camcorders that's, that's richie yeah. being like oh we'll go to this <laughs> motel and shoot uh, uh but yeah luke tell us what what tape's about i mean it's pretty simple it's basically a play it all takes place in a motel room in lansing michigan um ethan hawk is i feel like kind of the opposite of most ethan hawk characters or the way i was i started to imagine him at one point was like He's like, we always see these really irresponsible Ethan Hawke dads, but we also always see them when they're good. You know, we always see Ethan Hawke once he's like past his shit phase. And now he's like a great guy and we like love him for that. And he's grown. And it's like, this is maybe Ethan Hawke and all of his shit dads combined into one experience. And you get to like, he's not a dad for context, but he's just a shitty guy. He's just he's the just worst shitty, kind of guy. Shitty guy. You could yeah. put this in like friend, a trilogy with person. like you could put it in a trilogy with reality bites and then tape and then boyhood. Like and but tape would be the middle when he's just like yeah. it's shitty and yeah. bad. Like, well, that yeah, was his, could, his strung out period. Yeah. You could certainly yeah, you can certainly draw the line of Troy Dyer to um to Vincent. to boy to boyhood. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so anyways, it's him in a hotel room. Robert Sean Leonard comes over. He's a director now. He's got it's his first feature, right? That he's like doing so. at this I festival so. in town. Yeah. And like, but it, it they're sort of implying that it's gonna be a big break for him. And like Ethan Hawk is his lifelong friend who has gone a very different direction and now is just kind of like holed up in this motel with a lot of drugs and I guess like bitterness. Um and then Uma Thurman, who doesn't come in for she really only comes in in the last, the last act, 30, like last 25, yeah. 30, yeah. yeah. Um, and a short movie too, like 80, 86, 89 minutes, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Lovely. 
But yeah, it comes in with a bomb of a performance. Oh that my just God. Like, she's yeah. so good. Like exponentially. I forgot how good she was. She's, she's just like, like mousing around for her first 15 minutes and then it just explodes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, she all. She's if there great. are any special effects in this movie, it's all Uma Thurman. She is the <laughs> yeah. visual effects um, department. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole movie. And basically, yeah, what, 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 we, I guess we would spoil it, but essentially what the movie is about is Ethan Hawke. You're kind of um, just like watching two, you're watching a friendship fall apart. Right. Essentially. Yeah. Right. Robert Sean Leonard, you know, um, essentially made this awful, you know, committed this awful crime slash, you know, um, assault, right? You know, um, and... Ethan Hawke in his own fucked up way is trying to catch him and call him on it, but in this very, but in the worst yeah, way the most, of like, doing exacting. it, the most selfish yeah. way you would do that. In and the most has, exploitative way possible, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and he has this tape recorder, and that's the, you know, obviously where the title comes from. And he's basically trying to catch Robert Sean Leonard in this confession. And of course, it involves. Uh, Uber Thurman's character, whose name is Amy, who then is kind of called upon by Ethan Hawke, and she shows up in the last uh, act of the movie, like you're saying, Luke. And it's just, you know, yeah, it's just, it's an actor showcase. It's a movie that, that I saw, um, you know, probably on like the Sundance channel, like yeah. in the early 2000s, sure. and blew me away. Like, I yeah. really got into Linklater probably because of Before Sunset. So I imagined it all was happening around that time. I loved Waking Life, which, you know, it was, I think, this same year. And like, this is Linklater just at his height of experimentation. You know, tape was well reviewed at the time. I think I have it as five stars in my letterbox just because it was so formative for me as like a young budding wannabe writer at that point it blew me away just like the setting the camera right the whole the way they shoot the whole film is with a a prosumer maybe not even prosumer consumer camcorder where it was like yeah i mean it's it's like looks grainy it's like your parents home videos and for those who don't know maybe you're younger whatever like this was very common in 01 right like post Blair Witch DV, DV digital mm-hmm. uh, there was like a three year run where the I mean D- even like Agnes Varda did it yeah. for like four years she definitely yeah. did yeah like Gleaners and I and whatnot yeah. like um, there is a, a period of time in which a lot of indie sim- cinema Soderbergh has this like yeah. m- bubble right has like a muddy DV look I always think of Tadpole with Sigourney Weaver sure. BB New Earth is the one I always think of right um, like which the, 28 days later yeah 28 days later that's my the God. best I think that's the best example of it working really really well in a way yeah that, that movie is horrifying as a result yeah I think but I but I I think, it, no, I, think credit, it, I think it works well I think here. tape I think tape is yeah. a great example oh, yeah. I, I guess yeah, I mean yeah. in the most it's it's, it's most uh it's like it's most polished feeling in in mm. 28 yeah. days later God, um, 28 Days Later is such a good movie. Yeah. It's so good. I freaking love And even 28 Weeks Later is actually good too, but I, 28 it, Days Later is great. I had yeah. never seen this movie. and Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought I had, you had. I had never oh, okay. seen it. And um, 
I like I I had probably maybe I said I saw it because I but you know I probably caught like part of it like you said. Did, I oh, because you're a liar. Yeah, because you're a liar. Dirty liar. You dirty rotten liar. Um, Me no, and Connor are gonna have our tape right now. Yeah, on this right, program. Yeah. We're gonna call it podcast. <laughs> yeah, gonna, it'll be called. I'm gonna be the Uma Thurman. <laughs> it'll get how, it'll get into but I'm zero. Make it work. It'll get into zero film festivals. Um, no, Lancey Lancey's gonna Lancey's gonna be like, no, I'll take it. No, but it um. No, I, I feel like like you did. I feel like I had probably caught parts of it. Like I knew this movie. I definitely remembered certain sequences from it, but I had never watched it start to finish. So this was the first time. And it, I think it was it's I was sort of surprised at kind of not unlike Cedars. This movie has a better reputation than that movie, but I was fully expecting it. I kind of went into it being like, cool, let me watch this like cool link later experiment. And it's it was definitely a more engaging watch than I was expecting. I mean, it really showcases like how good he is at directing. Yeah, the fact yeah, that yeah. you're in this hideous room with people and like costumes aren't an aspect, production design's not an aspect. Like there's really no nothing it, aesthetically and pleasing it really, about it. it and really it's moves. so energetic. Like, it really yeah, moves. So like energetic. like for like you mentioned, Luke, like it is a short movie, but even you know even for a movie like this, even being just around 90 minutes, like could still be, it's 86 minutes. Right. So like with credits, right. So like, you know, whatever being 82 minutes could still be disastrous, but like, I found myself, you know, I might've paused halfway through, but then been like, Oh, I'm 40 minutes in like, you know, like it it really does. It really does move uh, quite well. So I was, I was definitely surprised by that. I was also very surprised at like, how well it feels like it aged given the just complicated subject matter mm-hmm. that it deals with, yeah. like, which I can only imagine must have felt way ahead of its time uh, in 01 um, in the way yeah, that it, it sort does of breaks quite tactfully handle mostly. Yeah. Like the, and, and it you is, know, I think I do think a lot of that to Luke's point, like is Uma, like the way that she really sure owns the Amy character, the way that she like pulls it out of out of them so slowly and so like yeah. deliberately and tactfully, and, it's and, just like whoa. It it, it gives her kind it is of good. A, yeah. It gives her kind of an ownership over the overall situation that I think saves the movie from being a kind of like cringy disaster. Um, now I think Luke. Now tell me with the Robert Sean Leonard of it all. I I do think his performance <laughs> works in that. He is kind of the worst character in the like he's the most evil character yeah, in the, the sh- movie. The shittiest guy. <laughs> because he's kind of the worst type of guy, which is right, obviously, he pretends to be nice. Right. right? Like y- you would rather have a guy be Ethan Hawk and just kind of be a shithead. Yeah. Than be and Robert it is Sh- this like slow turning where it's yes. like you enter and you hate Ethan Hawke. He's just this shitty guy. You've got this other like nice friend trying to help him. And then, yeah, slowly it becomes yeah, Robert Sean Leonard is, like, is oh, so empty. Like you're the devil, right? Because you're the guy yeah. who's like, oh, no, no, it's all good. It's all good. And it's like, oh, no, it's mm-hmm. not. And right. you and you know that. And you're choosing, And you're getting away with it. Yeah, and you're, you're choosing like, to act yeah. like you don't know it. But we all know you do, right? And I think... That's good writing. Obviously, like you said, it's based on a play. And I think, you know, Leonard primarily is a theater actor kind of pre-house, right? Like he he was in mm-hmm. movies and whatnot, but 
he was kind of always on the stage. So I think this space does work for him. I think the duplicitous nature of the character. He's got does. the right face. The for shallowness, it too. which I think we can talk about, like the shallowness perhaps of of Robert Sean Leonard, to whatever degree we want to talk about that, it works here, I yeah, think. I agree. Um but what do you I think it like goes it it definitely works from like a casting perspective. Like sure. I feel like it is a good look for what y'all are talking about. Because yeah, he has a very punchable face. <laughs> very punchable but face. But like at the same time, this this like the, like the screenplay is so repetitive. Like I would love to count how many times they ask each other why. Sure, it's like there's so many things they repeat over and over and over, and that's a huge point. I feel like of the screenplay, it's not like a demerit at all. But when you, it's like you, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman, you see them deliver the same lines in ten different ways, and it's like, whoa, these are great actors, you know. Robert Sean Leonard like doesn't have range. And it's like, I, I don't think that just because his character is like a shell of a person, I I don't really feel like he as an actor is like, I'm just going to deliver a really flat character because I'm empty. And if that is what he's doing, I would be interested to hear about that. And like, maybe it would change my mind. Yeah. And if that's something that they have sort of all conceived of together and talked about, like it would definitely change my perspective, but it doesn't seem that way. It seems like he's trying to be dramatic and his eyebrows just aren't moving. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you not showing I, emotions? I you're do... yelling, but you're giving me the same face all yeah. the time. I think yeah. the um, I think the stunt casting does do a lot for me in this movie in that regard, like the the dead poets, the dead poet boys, mm-hmm. like yeah, like I do think that certainly helps insofar as. You know, there's very little setup. They show up on screen. We're told they're long friends, and I believe it partially because I know that, I, right? Like, it, it, there's like what? A, well, and you know what I was going to say that that helps. One one thing I did like about the portrayal of the friendship is only with a friend who you've been friends with for as long as they presumably been friends. Can you be friends with some someone like that, right? Because right. I think yeah. we all have friends yeah. like this, where yeah. like, oh, I've been friends with Definitely. him since fifth grade, and then you meet the person, you're like, oh, you guys are nothing alike. You're like, yeah, but in fifth grade, we just right. both liked magic cards. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then and then and then we and then we became family because we just have been friends for twenty years, and now he's like way different than me, but we're friends. I don't know. Yeah, like yeah. now we're just friends, and like other friends will meet your friend and be like, oh, that's your friend, huh? And you're like. Yeah, man. That's yeah, my like fucking just, friend. He was my friend like, a long you know, time ago. Yeah, it's first. the de facto friend, and it, but it's and but I it, do yeah. love that about the movie where like where like Robert Sean Leonard's like, "Is my fucking friend, dude?" Like, like, <laughs> yeah. then, but then of course, Luke, like you're saying, the beauty of the playwriting. We should say Stephen Belber write the play. He wrote the script, obviously, as well. Um, funny enough, he wrote, he would go on to write and direct a movie called Management, starring Steve Zahn. Uh, Connected tissue uh, continues, but um, friend of the pod, friend of the pod, <laughs> and friend and friend and friend of the hawk, and friend of the friend of the Bobby Shawnee Leonard. Um, but Bobby Shawnee Lenny, I do like the twist of like Robert Sean Leonard being like, oh, this is my friend, and then at the end of the movie or middle of the movie being like, oh, Ethan Hawke's kind of thinking that of Robert Sean Leonard, right? It's like that thing of they're both thinking of each other in this very diminutive way in different, in different ways, which I think was, was good. And then we should say like Ethan Hawke's coming in from Oakland 
This is where he lives as he's a volunteer fire firefighter. Which, well, by hey, sort of name, he's volunteer really firefighter really hawk. He's really a drug dealer. Exactly, yeah. firefighter hawk. No, not in a, in a drug dealer. Um, it feels but, like it feels like he's both. a drug. Let me say, it feels like he's let, a drug dealer first, and then he let says he, he's a let he who has not <laughs> let he who has not dealt drugs and fought fires throw the first. Sure, stone. that's what I always that's what I always say. I'm gonna say that sounds like a Robert Sean Leonard perspective to me. So who knows what Connor's hiding? <laughs> well, see, this is how it starts. This is this how is it good. starts. Podcast. Everybody buckle in for excessive linguistic pressure minutes. from Connor. <laughs> linguistic pressure dan and luke dan and luke at sun at virtual sundance 2023 horrible joke and we're like and we're we're like these guys are critics i know i hated that i made it these guys are these guys were critics and now they have a movie at the virtual sundance uh because of a real life podcast recording um but yeah, I I was happy to rewatch inspiring this story because it's been so long since I'd watched it. So this was the one I was most excited to rewatch, and um, it did basically hold up for me. Uma Thurman, yeah, like same. you said, all star of the film. Um, in a weird way, I was thinking about this, and I don't know how this is possible, but like somehow she like looks more beautiful with the camcorder. <laughs> are you saying uma thurman needs like low well, I didn't, no, resolution no, no. i think i i know i didn't understand it's, 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 I, no it's, i was what like, it is is that you're like yeah. what it is is that it's you're like oh i'm looking at her through a camcorder and she still looks like one of the most beautiful yeah because you know i've ever everybody seen. Yeah. looks harsh because yeah. it's obviously that's how it's yeah that's the design of the machine it's right? certainly not graceful to the other two no it's no. certainly not right it's certainly not like the only and, and, the only thing helping bobby shawnee lenny is like <laughs> he does have that he does have that perfect bone structure that that still comes yeah, through. Nice Hawk. Man, that one really got him. <laughs> not like Eddie, not like Eddie Jimmy almost. Yeah, and not like Eddie Jimmy almost. Bobby Sean Bobby Lenny. Lenny. Bobby Sean Lenny. Uh Bobby Shawnee Lenny, as he likes to be called. Um <laughs> he It is a, such a weird name. Robert, Robert Sean Leonard. Yeah, you know what the thing is like though, it. but have you ever forgotten it? Like when you went so not. many times. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> all the time. Luke. I'm like Robert David Lenny. I mean, I like, he sounds, I, we, he sounds like someone who shot a president. Can we do a quick being quick, ho- quick house aside? <laughs> quick 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 house aside. Um, I'm, I'm about to take it to the house was like, here. Wasn't so, Robert Sean Leonard the son of Sam? No, um. So I remember. I remember. Yeah, his, his his given name is Berkowitz. Um, I remember. Um, yeah, I was in college. I think I dated a girl, and I remember she like was obsessed. She was obsessed with house. Okay, and I remember her. We watched some house together, and she was ex- before we did that. She was like explaining why she loved it, and she was just like explaining the formula of house. Right? She was just like every episode, there's a disease and nobody knows it and he figures it out. And I remember just like having that moment. I was probably like way snottier college yeah, kid you're, than you're I am like now. Every episode. <laughs> but I remember just having I was just like, but so hang on. So every episode is the same. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, and right. that's and you that's fine. You like you that's and yet here that. we are now being like Columbo fucking rules. <laughs> no, and this is my and this is my point. I she was explaining it to me and I was like understanding it, of course, but I was kind of like being like, wow, like that seems uninteresting to me, right? Of course, like 
how are you interested all the time? And then you get older, right? And yeah. I feel like everybody defaults to this. Like you have a night where you're like, like you know, the Rockford Files. I've watched sure. every episode probably twice just because my boy Jim Rockford is going to get to the bottom of it every time. And it's like <laughs> the formula works. And like that show is such a great, great, great example of yeah. like that formula working. And like Robert Jordan Leonard, for those who don't know, in that show plays literally – um, House is Watson, right? Like right. he's Watson to House is Sherlock, right? Where like he's like, I don't know about this one, House, and it's like, no, you don't, no, <laughs> you don't, Bobby, Shawnee, Lenny, let me t- let me take the wheel. Um, so that's tape, <laughs> and it's good, uh, good movie, yeah, um, good movie. There's a, now here's the thing. I mean, we don't need to hit all this, but my God, between tape and uh, predestination well this i think is where what a run here yeah because i think this this is where ethan hawk hits his i mentioned colin farrell before i think this is where he hits his mode where like he becomes the ethan hawk we know and love now right like in mm-hmm. terms of the way people think about him and and whatever because and the fact that he's even like in this role i don't know it feels like something that you mean only even, like you mean legacy take. actor would be in Oh no, no no I'm talking about predestination. Oh sure sure yeah like but he yeah. but yeah he th- this is where he kind of pivots into he does a couple thrillers right. Uh, well yeah he's so so he's so he's he's got the obligatory and I pardon me for spoiling Taking Lives but he's got the obligatory oh why is Ethan Hawke in Taking Lives oh that's why right sure you know yep. thriller yeah um which is you know Angie post Oscar run uh, Angie Jolie Assault and Precinct. 13 we mentioned he's the lead in that remake underrated remake pretty good movie he's chasing nicholas cage in lord of war another andrew nickel movie incredibly underrated movie i would recommend anybody i don't see think that. i don't think anymore i think people like it now yeah hopefully rated now properly rated. also worth noting that he didn't make a movie for three years now is and that in the process was like taking care of his kids because apparently yeah. was filming a lot of things and he didn't have time and then they got divorced as i was result. gonna say i think that was part of it too they they ultimately yeah. got divorced um yeah you're right he didn't he the jimmy show but he, i think he made that well before it came out um which uh i think is a frank whaley movie um let me just make sure. Yes, Frank Whaley, who's another one of the kind of young actor friends um <laughs> frank so, whaley who is just... in Frank Whaley, who is in um, a Midnight Clear, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I just why there's a no, just so Dan and I, we work at the same company. We have the same day job. And oh, the Frank Whaley I, connection. There is yeah. a I don't remember what the specific connection was, but this was years ago. We used to be based out of the East Village, and I think Frank Whaley had come by and dropped off a drive to like cut a reel together or he knew. Yeah. He knew, he knew our bosses forever and yeah. they would cut, they would recut his reel, reel yeah. like on and off over the and years so, but, for him. But that was like before our time at this company. And so it just was this drive that was like sitting around the office that you'd run into every once in a while, but it just had a label on it. So it was just this hard drive that randomly just said, Frank Whaley. Frank Whaley. It. Like, it was just this like I never booted it up. I never saw what was on it. But anytime, no. I- and then one day, I don't know if you here. One day he came in to get it. Did he really? Oh, I oh yeah. I, yeah. I, I I met him. Yeah, he came in to get. He came in to get that drive, and he was gone. Frank was gone. Um, oh six. He directs the hottest state which is based on his novel. Right. Um, another underrated movie. That's I his would, first would, novel. 
his first novel, his second directed movie, because he directs Chelsea Walls. Correct. In 01, which is another kind of camcorder. They filmed it in the Chelsea Hotel we talked in New York. That, we talked about that a little bit with uh, with Steve on. Yeah. yeah, who's in that? And then the Hottest State Fast Food Nation ensemble movie. And then Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, obviously. The Lumet, Ugh, great, great. Devastating. Great, great. And also an example of like hawk will do those roles where like that character man i rewatched that movie recently what a loser like he is just the he the, is the worst you're man. just like bro you suck like, you're just <laughs> yeah. watching this movie somehow, he's just yeah. like, somehow more he sucks somehow more in before the devil knows you're dead than he does in tape yeah, like, he does. Which, like, I would hang out well, with the because, tape guy 10 yeah. out of 10 oh times. My God, at least, the, at least the tape guy has drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at least the tape guy like makes jokes. Like even if they're yeah. all even if they're all color jokes, like you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah toss me. I know. watched before uh I watched before the devil knows you're dead, like for the first time on one of my birthdays with like a group of people. Oh no. And it was like we were supposed to like hang out afterwards and everyone was just like, I'm going home. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, But it's my birthday. Yeah. Like, come on, I that's thought we were hanging out, and they're like, We don't really feel like it. No, it's a, that was like, like shit, man. That's the, that was like the story when me when me me kelly connor and Brittany all went and saw mother and we were supposed to get yeah. dinner after we were like we, we walked, planned a night we were like we're gonna go see mother and, and we, like, that's and we gonna be a wild out. movie and we're gonna go get dinner it'll be great we walked out of the movie theater and i and i turned to connor i was like hey man me and kelly are going home like <laughs> the night's over for us we just saw mother we gotta leave <laughs> poor kelly was just like yeah that was um i'm never gonna properly recover from that experience i was like god bless you um (laughs) and then he and then he's in you know there's like what doesn't kill you is kind of a um an underseen gangster movie brooklyn's finest is he uh, reunites with anton antoine fuqua cop yeah cop thriller um and then his first collaboration with the spirit brothers is daybreakers which did relatively well um which if you remember that movie was um i think it came out yeah it came out in oh, no. january 2010 it came out in 2010 actually in the u.s yeah. and it was like it's it's our world but everybody's a vampire, vampire. yeah which is kind of a cool movie it's a actually. fun yeah um, it's a fun little movie yeah and little then um, little sam neill for your money too, little right? sammy neill mm-hmm. little Wilm. Mm-hmm. um and then Sinister's a big hit, obviously, in 2012. And then we're getting into kind of the, the you know, this is really, he. there's a lot of movies here. There's Before Midnight, obviously, does really well. The yeah, Purge the dude works really a well. lot. He's got like he's got three to five huge, features a year. Yeah, he's, after got, that. he's got like a huge 2013, 2014. It's like. Yeah, Boyhood, yeah. Yeah. Um, Predestination. Good Kill, which is another Andrew Nichol movie, kind of kind of interesting. Um, he directs could Seymour and Introduction. Sides, probably Good Kill could have yeah. been yeah. Seymour and Introduction is a good documentary that he directs. I would recommend. Um, Cymbeline, which is Michael Amarita, that gets filmed I think a couple years earlier, but finally comes out. Um, but Predestination is the movie that's going to finish us up. And like I said, it's the Spirit Brothers, and it's based on the Robert Heinlein 
um, short story, which is called All the Zombies. Yeah, All, all You all Zombies. You zombies. Yeah. All You Zombies. And um, I feel like we've got to we've got to announce a spoiler for Predestination. Yeah, There's no way to talk, to talk about that yeah, movie yeah. otherwise. So if we're you gonna haven't have to seen, talk about if it. you haven't seen Predestination, uh, as of this recording, it's on Tubi, so you can watch it. Um, it it it's it's there, and it's yeah, it is a very it's an interesting one because it's very spoilery, but. It does show a lot of its hand sooner in the movie than I remember. On, it does. On this when you when you like, rewatch it, you're like, oh, I'm surprised I didn't catch on yeah. to this like 45 well, minutes ago. Yeah. Well, and what's funny is the short story does that even earlier. Right. Okay. Like, the, like the, the short story is just like, anyway, but we can, we'll, we'll jump into spoilers. No, no, no. Um, yeah. So Predestination, uh, as you mentioned, Dan, it is based on a short story, uh, All You Zombies, by Robert A. Heinlein. Basically, it's a time travel narrative. It's set in an alternate, you know, 1940 to 1970s is kind of the range that we that we jump around in. Um, So it's sort of got a kind of retro a retro futuristic vibe to it and basically yeah, 45 to 92 is the is the is the range yeah uh and it it's ethan hawk and it co-stars uh sarah snook who you would know now from succession obviously uh and it also has a, a supporting performance by noah taylor and there's not really that it's kind of the three of them really kind of just there's no one really else in it yeah, yeah. it's like a, sort of a three-hander just holding this i did like that noah together. taylor is in the noah taylor role of like exposition machine yeah. guy like <laughs> yeah delivering sure. information yeah um uh fucking uh what's they, the edge of tomorrow yeah you know? it's kind of it's 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 he's sort of the exposition machine ethan hawk is a little bit too through like voiceover uh and also kind of introducing sarah snook into this world in terms of the mechanics of the time travel um but it does this movie does have i think the structure is kind of the main thing most people would latch on to just because of the way that it chooses to ultimately like i said sort of show its cards so i'm gonna do my best to kind of walk you through it a little bit because it is a little you know uh convoluted i suppose is the word but um Basically, Ethan Hawke plays a temporal agent who works for an agency that is essentially it's time cop, right? Like he he works for an agency that is sort of exists to stop crimes before they happen. And he has been over the course. Minority Report, bitch. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. I will. But but Minority Report, they don't try. Sorry, I just had to get one Minority Report reference in there, (laughs) regardless of the the lack of time travel connection. (laughs) They don't don't time travel travel in Minority Report, though. But they don't. They certainly don't. um, But that's but Max Van Sydow was also mentioned. It was appropriate. Sure. Yeah. 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 I love God. He's so good in that, too. Van Sydow. So good. Uh, (laughs) No click click of little spiders. They can't hear a thing. They got here a thing. So good. Um, but anyway, yeah. So Minority Report is a Steven Spielberg movie. <laughs> Wait, um, can I just say my favorite? I think my favorite Tom Cruise 
line delivery in any Tom Cruise movie ever is the don't you ever say his name. I earnestly, I actually the do, best. I do think that the Miranda Wright's scene in Minority Report. Oh, when he's crying. Oh my God. Is dude. like Mike made, is, is maybe Man, one of the that, greatest things I've ever seen in a blockbuster. I'm like breathless like, through that entire sequence. It's so fucking good. Incredible. Um, it's like if you ever wanted just a t- like a two minute justification of why we put Tom Cruise in movies and why he gets paid so much. Seriously, it's like oh that God. that scene. Mm-hmm. You're just like, yep. I do love when Colin Farrell or Colin Farrell turns to Neil McDonough. He's like, "What kind of cop were you before this?" And he's like, "Tax cop." He's like, "I didn't." <laughs> he's like, "He's like, I didn't even know what a like a violent criminal was." And Colin Farrell's like, "Cool idiot. This is called an orgy of evidence. It never happens. Once you go back to your taxes, loser." Uh, that movie's great. I love <laughs> that movie. Like, I'm gonna watch Minority Report after this. Um, Me too. Same. Okay, so sorry. Back to a, back to a movie that, frankly, is not as good as Minority Report. Unfortunately, definitely. Um, <laughs> so predestination. I mean, basically, e- Ethan Hawke is a uh, is a is a time cop, and he has been tracking down this uh, this bomber that has been dubbed the Fizzle Bomber, and. He has essentially become obsessed with tracking this bomber down. They've they haven't been able to stop this bomber at a number of different instances over the course of, like I said, this this stretch of time that the movie covers in sort of a repeating fashion is the 1940s to the 1970s. Uh, According to this world, time travel has been invented in 1981, I believe they say. And so the kind of. One of the main rules it sets for its universe is that there cannot be time travel within a sort of 50-ish year span from that point, either forwards or backwards. Um, so that said, he basically comes into uh, 1970s New York, or is it the, it's the, yeah, it's the 70s, about no- November 1971, I believe. Um, and he sort of inserts himself as a bartender and one of his patrons comes in and it's a it's Sarah Snook who presents as a man. And this is sort of where the movie pivots into kind of its most crucial thematic element, really, uh, just in terms of its gender politics and things like that. It's it's sort of fascinating because. At the time that this movie came out, both the directors and Ethan Hawke were very much like, oh, the gender stuff's not the thing. The time travel's the thing. And I I don't know, just watching the movie, it's it's very strange that they skirted around the gender politics as being a very explicit driving force in this movie because it, it feels like one of the main reasons it wasn't like well watched. That's that's entirely possible. And it and it got some flack at the time for its handling of the gender politics um well primarily the the muddying of intersex and trans yeah exactly so like identities identities yeah is is, is kind of and that's at the core of the heinlein story too yeah is that issue as well right and And i think yeah and that's still very much present i i think I had shared you guys on a an, a very academic piece that was written. It was uh, good, yeah, was yeah. Good. That was written about this movie, and maybe we can link to it. Um, I believe by someone. 
I can't. I don't. I'll have, pull it up. Keep yeah, going. I, I don't have up. the name offhand, but it was basically a piece that was written as part of a queer cinema uh, thing that sort of broke down how this movie is sort of accidentally progressive in its in its like trans uh, lens, <laughs> but but that it's, yeah, Janae. It, yeah, so Janae Wilde um, wrote. Um, it's a from Jump Cut. A review of contemporary media, spring 2021, science fiction paradox and the transgender look, how time travel queers spectatorship in predestination is, and we'll link to it. But yeah, yeah. that's, that's it, what you're It's definitely, you know, it's not, you know, a breezy read it. Like I said, it's a very academic piece, but I'm glad I read it before rewatching this movie because it did get me to appreciate the things that are worth, very much worth appreciating about the movie. Um, despite sort of, like we said, the muddy politics. But what we're referring to is basically the Sarah Snook character, whose name is Jane slash John, uh, comes into this bar presenting as a man and ultimately reveals themselves to be a the writer behind a sort of uh, feminine confession column uh, called The Unmarried Mother. And mentions to Ethan Hawke, like, I bet you I can tell you the greatest or it's either this is it the saddest or greatest. It's something like I think that. it's the greatest. It's, yeah, it's like I can yeah. tell you the greatest story you've ever heard for that bottle of whiskey. And Ethan Hawke's like, all right, here you're on whatever. He grabs a bottle. of He doors. ups the Annie. Yeah, he's he's like goes from half to full. Yeah, yeah, because because they say, you know, I bet you what's left in that bottle. I can tell you the greatest story you've ever heard. Ethan Hawke is like, I'll bet you this full bottle. He grabs a bottle of doers. Well, cause he's like, how do you write women so well? Yeah. And he's like, and I think of a man, I take away reason and accountability. <laughs> no, um, he goes, he goes, uh, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. Yeah. Right? And, and so Sarah Snook proceeds to relate this story about how, uh, she was dropped on a, the doorstep of an orphanage in Cleveland. And, raised as a girl named Jane never really felt like she quite fit as a girl and found herself really just, you know, all, all the things that would come along with that. She's bullied. She has a really hard time kind of growing up and then ultimately just excels regardless, academically speaking, finds herself, um, finds herself applying for a role as basically a space concubine right yeah. like is is the thing um and granted like i said this is sort of the movie the one thing the movie I, this movie holds your hand in a couple different ways the one way it sort of doesn't is it just asks you to assume that like this is already sort of an alternate science fiction version of the 40s and 50s and 60s that we're walking through right so you know, she's not applying for NASA. She's applying for what would become like Star Trek Space Federation type thing. Like it's like a little bit more uh, science fiction-y in its sort of, like I said, a uh, retro futurist kind of way. So she goes through this whole program and ultimately uh, upon thorough examination is dismissed and is not really told why. And then she falls in love with this mystery man who winds up abandoning her, but not before he gets her pregnant and 
she has a baby, but the, there's a, some complications. So the baby has to be saved by a C-section. And she is then told by the doctor that she has, in fact, both two sets of male and female sex organs. And that in the C-section, they had to completely remove her female organs. And she is now indeed a man. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's which I will say, I feel like it's worth mentioning that I feel like in the movie up to that point, it's not really suggestive of the idea that she doesn't feel comfortable being a girl or a woman, but that she's just like an outcast in general. Like she's like too physical and she's too smart. Yeah. She's she's strong. She's like stronger than all the other girls. Like, yeah, some things are like masculine, but other things are just like, she excels, you know? And it's like, she's just not, she's just clearly very different than everyone and like, doesn't connect, but there's this recurring theme of her, like really desperately wanting to be like other people and like have like a normal basic ass relationship. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Not unlike in the short story, I think where the movie really trips, and look, I mean that this is also the source material is, you know, the doctor being like, "All right, now you got to be a man. You got to be a man now." Right. You know, and and her and 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 Sarah Snook being like, "Ah, I guess you're right." Where it's kind of conflating two different things. Where it's like, yes, there is this physical, there is this physical element. Okay, in that respect, yes. But if like you are more comfortable, right, like. You know, like you're saying, Luke, she's lived her life as Jane and clearly doesn't really want to become John, right? That's how the movie kind of presents it. But then the movie kind of gives Sarah Snook no choice, right? Yeah. The character no choice. And so that's where you get a, and, you get the nitty gritty and that's from that point I, on. I do, I kind of, and maybe again, maybe this is me taking the reading that I had taken from from that piece about it into my rewatch. I rewatched this last night and it did play better. This is, it's only the second time I've seen it, but like it did play better on a rewatch. Cause like I did feel that sense of like tragedy <laughs> to it all. Yeah. Um, and again, it, I, like you said, Dan, I think the biggest, the biggest sort of sin the movie makes in its gender politics is just the muddying of like, Oh, intersex and transgender, they're the same thing, right? And you're like, well, like, no, like, mm-hmm. and it and it doesn't really do a good job of thematically juggling those things. That said, I still think there are things to glean from the particularly like Sarah Snook's performance in terms of like how she reacts to having to deal with that. Like, there, I think there's some truth that ekes out, like, like I said, sort of almost accidentally, despite them not really being seemingly too concerned with that element of the movie that's it as there's also like the the i don't know i think there is yeah like what you're saying like some truth leaks out like i feel like there's something really like good and like worth investigating and talking about more whatever it turns into for people about the fact that like gender in this film is one not a choice for people Mm-hmm. and two like like the their gender identity is not their choice it's something they feel or are physically put in the position of right mm-hmm. and then like secondly that it really like erases boundaries with gender like right i mean getting maybe i don't want to get to the very end yet we haven't gotten there but like the fact that throughout this film you're watching someone like 
rotate and morph through genders in a way that makes them like very uncomfortable, but also like creates a lot of space for conversation around how gender operates. Like well, that's, starting that... out in the fifties with like really, yeah. really typical models of gender and then sort of like ending up in this place where we're in like a futuristic time traveling space kind of setting and gender has been totally turned on its head. Well, and that's, and that's where the piece that we were referencing earlier that Connor was sharing kind of, kind of gets to where the movie almost unintentionally becomes a champion of gender fluidity Yeah, where you don't know. I, I would argue the spirit brothers weren't really, trying for that but i think no they kind of they like trip across the finish but, line a little bit but like. <laughs> sarah but but they, they they it is referenced in that piece that sarah snook did a lot of um research for the role and it sounds like she was the anchor and the leader in that respect and certainly her performance i mean it is the performance that put her on the map and it certainly is That's an so incredible great. performance like yeah, just in terms of really is great. she's doing a lot there aren't a lot of prosthetics right like she's mm. playing jane she's playing john you know and the slight differences not only in gender like we're talking about but in motivation mm-hmm. and circumstance in in all yeah. these different points in time it's very seamless and it's yeah. kind mm-hmm. of incredible actually like Ethan, you know this is about ethan hawk and whatnot and he's great in the movie but he's basically just and he kind of i think said this in interviews when the movie came out he's like basically marveling at the performance happening in front of his eyes yeah. right i mean he's really He's there to be Ethan Hawke in a sci-fi movie so that it gets seen he's by sort some of, people. He, you know, right. But, he kind of yeah. he's like a Trojan horse, right? Like he Yeah, totally. Um and and again, I think it's a movie that it it, it plays better on the second viewing because it does and it granted it also doesn't fall fully into, say, like the crying game trap, right? Where it's like it doesn't play its uh, it doesn't play its gender politics for like complete shock value. It's that's certainly there, but like we were talking about, like there's a lot in this movie that I think intentionally, like not, I, I, I don't, I think this movie kind of telegraphs itself pretty early on in a way that maybe when people were watching it, when it came out, weren't really picking up on, but I do, but I do think some of it is like very, intentional in terms of like it's twist doesn't occur you know even in a third act it occurs at the end of the first act right where you're kind of like oh okay the movie i thought i was watching i'm not watching and i'm watching this and so just dead and we should just so i'll just so, so basically the 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 crux of the whole piece right is it's called predestination what we learn is right every character save for noah taylor right is the same person, yeah. right? So, so it's it's the uh, it's, it's the, the movie about the shiv that conceived themselves. Exactly. There you go. So, <laughs> yeah. so basically, what you learn is, um, the person that Jane met and was abandoned by, but also impregnated by, was John, right? And they are obviously the same person. And when John goes back in time to find the Fizzle Bomber, he realizes what's happened to him. And furthermore, what Ethan Hawke realizes in all of his time jumping to catch the fizzle bomber is that, in fact, 
he's the one we find out that he's the one who steals the baby in 1940 or 19 in the 1960s the baby that is jane that was conceived by john by john and jane right and if you're wondering if they get into the incest of it all they certainly don't they certainly (laughs) do not but it's all the same person right which is the predestination paradox is what it's talking about where it's like right we don't know if that's incest that's a different category (laughs) it's a different category so (laughs) no taylor kind of speaks to that a little bit not to the incest of it but to the he does speak to like only you can do this thing because only you have lived this very specific life that is like outside of the loop of time Right. Yeah. Like, because, you have no because, genealogy. Yeah, you we, have no history. Yeah. Because we learn, yeah. right? Like I was saying, we learn that Ethan Hawke is also right, Sarah Snook. Right. right. He is, and and in fact, the Fizzle Bomber is is an incarnation of them after too many jumps. And um, I, I, it's weird. It's the they say he the, that. That that version of the character lost their mind, but of course due to time travel. But of course, then when you get that scene between the two Ethan Hawks, yeah. the question is, does is the fizzle bomber right? Of course, right? right. You know, like which is yeah, I, it's provocative. I wish they would they would like yeah, it is provocative. It's provocative. I, I, I kind of wish we got a little bit little more bit. out of that. Yeah, that, yeah. I forgot that they did. It. It's it's very teasy i forgot that you get uh-huh. that tease at the end you're like oh well that's that would have been cool can we get yeah, like one yeah. more little bit about that or i was gonna say especially just because his future self or her future self depending on where you're at is always smarter yes and yes. ahead of the other person so the well, idea that's that what suddenly I mean. this isn't true because it's the person we've been following is like oh wait i wish we could have gotten into and you that get it and this yeah. is where ethan hawk is such a good performer because you mm-hmm. get this in this laundromat where where the Ethan Hawke we've been following, the temporal agent, is going to kill the Fizzle Bomber, who is Ethan Hawke, as like with long hair and a beard and whatnot. He presents as okay, aesthetically, maybe a little kooky, quote unquote. Sure. But then when he speaks, it's reasonable. Yeah. A little bit. And it's the, the whole thing with the, the whole motivation the thing, is that. Yeah. You know, I'm He's a bomber and people. I'm killing people, but because of I what know I'm more doing, now, yeah. I am preventing further disaster. Further that death, would have right? It's the unbreak. It's people. like it's like the you know, it's the Mister Glass unbreak. Right? Like, yeah, very similar. Yeah, yeah, right. So 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 point being, it's a trolley. It it's a trolley dilemma thing. Right. Yeah. Like it's that, yeah. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. It, it will. It, it does speak. It does speak to, even though this is Sarah Snook's movie for sure. It does speak to the secret sauce of Ethan Hawke, which is like he's deceptively um, he's deceptively diverse in his performative abilities. And I always think about, you know, somebody asked him when before Sunset came out, like, oh, what, do, do you feel like it's a, a bit of a not an insult, but do you feel like it's a bit um you know, when people say, oh, with the before movies, it's just you're playing a version of yourself. Like, is is that easy? You know, is that a feel a little like diminutive, you know, or, or you know, uh, derivative? And he was like, well, no, that must be the highest compliment, right? If you're telling me that a character I'm playing just seems like I'm playing myself, that 
I, as an actor, I take that as a compliment. And I always think about that answer because I do, I do really think few people are as, are as good as him at doing that. At playing where like feels like a real. Person. Yeah. You just watch yeah. him and you're like, yeah, they, and it d- doesn't always feel like Ethan Hawke. It's not the movie star thing. I don't think like, I don't mm-hmm. watch him in movies and think like, like when I watch boyhood, I don't think that's Ethan Hawke. Like when I'm watching yeah, boyhood, yeah. that's, that's Mason, you know, that's yeah, the yeah, father yeah. Mm-hmm. and that's the deadbeat dad who got, he kind of learned how to be, be a good father. Um, so it's not the Will Smith thing, but, but, it's something in between where the, he finds some sort of comfortability. It's I don't know how you even quantify it, but he really does a very good job. And even in a movie like this, which is like really hanging on by threads. And like, yeah. you know, the Highland story is not as convoluted because it's really just an explanation of the predestination paradox like in its most basic like, oh, Jane became John and the temporal agent is both of them. The end. It's, right. Yeah, like, it's like the only linear part of the movie. And it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, the story, you know, Heinlein was, you know, an interesting, you know, it, like a lot of those writers, Arthur C. Clarke and, and Herbert and stuff, like forward thinking, you know, sneakily, um, you know, provocative in their own way writers. And, you know, it's, it's that 1958 short story. So that's amazing when you think about when he wrote it. But like, certainly the movie's trying doing double time trying trying to kind of make it flow as a, as a narrative and it certainly barely hangs on yeah yeah <laughs> you it, know? but it, it uh, yeah, yeah and the, it, there were just a couple things even as i was picking it up like not, and frankly not having nothing to do with the time travel of it all just more from like a character motivation standpoint they do a pretty good job of explaining it because the uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, like the fizzle bomber is not a part of the short story. That no, is a, no, that's an invention for the movie. And so they and they do a good job of, you know, whatever, injecting the world building jargon of of explaining why Ethan Hawke would not be aware that they would become the fizzle bomber because there's an element of like dementia and things like that after too much time travel and whatever. And uh, not to mention the, you know, they do a good job of, of, you know, no pun intended, but of transitioning you from the Sarah Snook to Ethan Hawke development because of the reconstructive surgery and the burns and all that. So all that makes sense as to why, say, you know, Ethan Hawke recognizes Sarah Snook, but Sarah Snook doesn't recognize Ethan Hawke, right? The one part where I trip up is, how does Sarah Snook as John not look at themselves in the mirror and see the face of the man that ruined their life? Right. Yeah, I you, also completely agree with you. You know, I, like I mean? it's, a, it's, one, a, it's a that was the big one, hole. That was the one part. <laughs> that was the one part that I got that I got tripped up on because I legit was I was really, I would love one of the Spirit Brothers saying to the other in the editing room, "Hey, so." You know, that's a big hole. And then like, <laughs> it was just like, hey, why don't you shut up? Um, yeah. it's, no, it's like legit what happened. And it is. It hey, is a, hey, Peter, it, shut it. it dude. And they don't. I, I, again, I'm not I'm not going to try and rewrite the movie or whatever, like because I, you know, there are probably a number of ways you could you could get there. I feel like it's something that just works better on a page only because. Y- you can just assume that this 
person has fully transitioned into presenting as a man and therefore looks very different in a way. The thing that's frustrating to me is it seems so fixable. Yeah. Like just right right into the story that there's more time in between those spaces and like jump time the same way you do and say it's been longer. It It just seems like an easy fix. It's the one part I got hung up on and not really in a way that ruins the movie necessarily. No, it It doesn't. It does. Yeah. It, it just because but but you do have to just be like fuck it because like because it's, it's, yeah, it's just kind of like a chuckle in the middle you're like really and it's okay. it's the reason i yeah, that's the biggest hurdle yeah for the, sure. the reason i think it's funny is that it seems like the spirit brothers that's the thing they care it's like this is the thing you care the most about because like the reason i'm ignoring it is because i care more about the thing that you don't care about right like which just as an audience member like so you know, I th- that's where I got a little kind of tripped up on it. It is. I will say, I, I, you know, obviously, when when you when you're watching a movie about these paradoxical kind of theories and whatnot, you think about the other movies. And I was thinking about I did love thinking about the, you know, the so the ending of this film, those final lines are from the short story. And, you know, the all the zombies, you know, all you, zombies. The all you zombies line is in there, obviously, in the story and in the movie. Um, you know, I'll miss you dearly, all that stuff. And it reminded me of, like, that's... Um, the Wachowskis must have loved Heinlein because the Agent Smith development mm. is kind of that, right? It's this idea of, like, if you were an agent who was a duplicate, but you kept going through the same loop over and over, wouldn't you develop some sort of psychosis psychosis slash clarity yeah and mm-hmm. where would that lead you and that's kind of like what resurrections has kind of in its right. back where, pocket where, where it pivots to a place and of, part of revolutions we, is a little bit about that where like agent smith breaks from the it becomes a virus of its own thing it was just interesting to watch predestination yeah and to think about like other pieces of material and be like oh yeah like that's interesting. That, like that idea of that like the, said, you know, it, paradoxical. It, it might have been nice if this movie was was made by a trans filmmaker who could like actually lend the lens to 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 like. Well, resurrections. Know. I mean, no, 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 right, right. I mean, right. I, yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. I, I and it's so it is just it is very funny because it does like we like we've been saying like it does sort of just trip into being an extremely interesting thoughtful movie but i think not not nearly in a way that um, i mean it's also like to a very good example in the same way or actually in a different way but similarly to like dallas buyers club of like how quickly sort of like the education of trans livelihood and just sort of everything surrounding it has grown exponentially over the past seven years like true the idea that Jared Leto won, like right. for playing a woman in right, like <laughs> in Dallas Buyers Club, is absurd. Like that casting news right now would just get well, shut down. Well, like, the Danish girl, the Danish girl, you know, right. the Danish oh, yeah, girl, the Danish even girl, came, the Danish girl yeah. even came out after like that, right? 16? Yeah, twenty yeah, sixteen, yeah. and like three years later, it's like he, yeah. Uh, Eddie Redmayne is like on record being like, yeah, I would never take that role today. Yeah, I mean, like, like regret, that changed so regrets fast. Regrets taking the role ultimately. Yeah. yeah, a bit. Did he win? Did he win for that? No, no, no he was not. No, he was nominated. I he think he won. For, did he win he for the for, Theory of Everything? Yeah, yeah. 
Oh my yeah, god! Like the year before, are they not the same before. movie? They're not the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> they might be the same movie. There's no telling. That's all but yeah, it's just like things people, changed right? like, a lot since 2014. Movie. It was a different time. I and I imagine that. when this was being like talked about, it was like 2010 to 2013, yeah, which I is probably like yeah, for, for sure. To that point, yeah. Luke, like when I had to look at when this movie came out, only because this is not related, but like for whatever reason, Tubi like always fucks up the dates on things and their metadata. So like, <laughs> if you go on Tubi, it says this movie was made in 2017, and I'm like, Predestination did not come out in 20. Like I was no. like, no way. You gotta call um, Roger Tubi yeah. and get to the bottom. Yeah. Of it. <laughs> so no, but but it did prompt me to be like, oh no no. But even then, just looking at the 2014 of it all, I was I was convinced this movie came out longer ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was like, and I and again like you know. Uh, far be it for me to be the person who dictates this, I suppose, but I imagine the Sarah Snook casting of it all is the thing that has aged maybe coupled with the fact that the character is a mad bomber terrorist slash monster. Like, I, you know, I think those things don't necessarily, you know, hold up obviously amazingly well, but I, I, yeah, think, yeah, that, I think yeah, the I grain, that, to, again, the grain to take this movie, the grain of salt to take this movie with is kind of what we've been saying. Just like the, it doesn't really nail all the things, but what comes through in the aggregate is something that's like really interesting. And, it's also and has a lot it's also say. like a theme that people weren't able to get. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of people trying to make movies like on these topics and like we weren't seeing them, so they weren't getting made. Right. So the fact that it is like an interesting question of, you know, in 2011 or 2012, whenever this movie was like greenlit and financed, etc., is it really is it is it better that we have people at least talking about this and sure. throwing this out there than like nobody talking about it because nobody has the power to talk about it? Like it does seem like a movie to me that creates I don't know. I mean it's a small movie. We're talking about it on a B sides podcast, but like it does it's got Ethan Hawke in it, like for the reasons that y'all talked about, so that people would hopefully watch it. And it does seem like it brought more positive attention to the whole it concept. It or did. at the very least made people think about it more. Yeah, I, yeah, that they I, totally. I totally. think the hard part is like, and I was even perusing Letterboxd just to like see like what kind of, you know, what the general reaction was. And and it was mixed to positive, basically. But I do think most people couldn't, even if they were reacting to the movie positively, it seems like most people were stopping at the like, oh, he, he fucked himself. Right. Like, or like what, you know, yeah. like it's just like, that's kind of what, you know, the, it's sort of it was provocative and maybe some of the wrong ways where they weren't necessarily following through on the thought, but, and I, I think the one thing that hurts that is to like, look at some of those interviews with the spirit brothers from like 2016, where they're like, yeah, we just wanted to make like the really good time travel movie. And it's like, okay. So like, Oh, <laughs> so like you didn't yeah. really care about that part of it. All right. But yeah, it's still a fascinating. I just to me, I think a fascinating object. In the, in Can I? Um, so this is interesting. I'm just looking at what Ethan Hawke is coming up next. And this is a, a B-side con, convulgence <laughs> here. He's making, he's making a movie called Raymond and Ray. Uh, Rodrigo Garcia, two half brothers reunite oh, at, the, at the funeral of their father and it's ethan hawk and ewan mcgregor yeah. as half brothers long time yo rodrigo Vondi, garcia Vondi curtis hall too rodrigo yeah, Rod garcia is the camera operator in great expectations is that true yeah 
Wow. Wow. I love that. He, he think, came up through Corona, I think. You think they'll chat about it on set? You think they chatted about it on set? <laughs> I got So Rodrigo <laughs> Garcia directed um, a movie that I like a lot called Last Days in the Desert, which stars Ewan McGregor as Jesus. Actually, which is a very interesting movie. Yeah. It's a very, yeah, it's a very beautiful yeah. kind of movie. Um, he's made beautiful. Some I feel like it's a 45 minute movie. Yeah. that they made twice as long twice but as it's long very yeah it's a little bit like yeah. that mother and child is another interesting movie he made nine lives mm-hmm. is pretty good he's a kind of an interesting uh, nine character. lives is fun yeah um so as we come to the end of ethan i'm trying to think i mean if i obviously if i'm rating these great expectations is obviously number one and tape right behind it and Agreed. then of course i guess I would say predestination and then cedars because predestination. I would maybe flip it. I don't know. I I don't know. Wait, quick question. How did, how did y'all watch tape? What do you mean? Oh, you mean like in literally, how did you watch it? (laughs) What through what means? Oh, well, uh, didn't we, didn't we, I think I have a DVD of it. Yeah. I just watched it on my computer. How did you watch it? I mean, it's not tape. It's not for rent or purchase anywhere, so I, it's like so I was it is a, a li- deep cut. I yeah, it's a it was a library DVD. Okay, yeah, um, I mean, I I was searching for it on like Just Watch and like other places online. I was even looking through like torrents, I'm, and it was I'm like there was nothing. There was one torrent that had like no cedars, but like everything else was like it wasn't on anything. But then I searched it on Roku, and it told me that it was on this app called Fossum like f awesome Awesome. and i went to the app i searched for it it doesn't come up i searched tape and it says 50 results i go through all 50 tapes not on there i like go back to the roku channel and search it again and it's like you can watch this on fossum watch through this like click and so i click it and then it just shows it to me i watched the whole movie but i'm like what is fossum is fossum like people hanging out somewhere and some like i don't know just like like putting uh putting movies on a streaming service that aren't anywhere else it kind of seems like something that was like shady but also it it allowed me to watch the movie so it does it sounds it sounds a little um but would you luke which one do you did you like more snow falling or uh or predestination Man, that's tough. I I feel like such a sucker saying this, but I really thoroughly enjoyed all four of these movies. I like I had seen Predestination and Tape before. I hadn't seen Snow Falling on Cedars or Great Expectations, but like Great Expectations is a movie that about twenty minutes in, I was like, I'm rewatching this at least ten more times in the next like three years, and then <laughs> that makes me so that makes me so yeah because I could have. I like it. It's a movie, obviously, that Dan and I love a lot. Mm-hmm. So I was very curious. I was like, I wonder if Luke's gonna fucking hate. Oh, this no, movie. I like, I, you it. know, like I, I became a real sucker for '90s movies in a way that I wasn't prior to the pandemic. Like over the pandemic, I have no idea what that's about. But like in the first four months, I just got hooked on them. Um, and yeah, like this fits the aesthetic of the things I love so much about that like wave of cinema in America specifically. Um, so well i mean it's it's uh it's so good but yeah so i think i would say great expectations <laughs> i think i'm gonna say great expectations snow falling on cedars number two predestination nice. tape but like i really love <laughs> like really all of them I, I would be glad to rewatch all these movies um, yeah, I'm, so. happy, I'm happy that we're all kind of aligned on them because yeah. like i said it's nice to have a batch that 
you know, we, we could have easily done like, like I said, we could have easily done like, you know, dad, Waterland, mystery mm-hmm. date. Yeah, I even um, suggested yeah. mystery date because I was just like, what is this fucking random movie with Ethan Hawke and Terry Polo? Yeah, John Terry <laughs> Polo. I was like, I was like, mystery date, whatever. And it was, it's like on HBO Max, like, you know, or whatever. So I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, what the fuck is that? I always, it's funny because there's two movies that came out in that time. I always confuse them. Um, Bruce Willis and Kim Basinger made a movie called Blind Date, mm-hmm. and Ethan Hawke and Terry Polo made Mystery Date, <laughs> and so you know it was just a different time. You know, we'll I mean? do like a special date night episode. Date night, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, so Luke, as we're kind of finishing up, are there any other Ethan Hawke movies that you would recommend? And where can people find your work in the world of, of film writing? Oh, man. Ethan Hawke movies I would recommend. I think my favorite, I mean, definitely one of my favorite Ethan Hawke movies is Gattaca. Sure. Um, I, the Before Trilogy, of course. Uh, I'm, like, pretty soft on Boyhood. I think it's, like, a good movie, but I feel like it was pretty uh, overblown. Um, but other than that, I, like, I feel like these four we watch would probably make up, like, the next four or five movies i mean like i nice. love reality bites there there are lots of other like ethan hawk movies i enjoy but i don't i mean this is a really strong grouping of ethan hawk movies i guess i say. agree um I agree. uh i am on twitter at lou underscore kicks l-o-u underscore k-i-c-k-s and that's that's kind of it um yeah, I write at you... film school rejects the film stage polygon the playlist Right, well, dark now room, the film places. stage I've only heard bad things about. I have yeah. to say, I'm really not a fan of the film stage. <laughs> yeah, I write I mean, there because I have to. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that's really. And you it. know what? I get it. I get. Yeah. It. God, yeah. what a shitty name for a website. Am I right? Don't no, send my regards to the editor. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, but I do want to uh, say, like, look at you brought up Ethan Hawke's upcoming movies, like. It might be Ethan Hawke's prime in 2022 because this dude is it's popping true, off. Yeah. <laughs> like Moon, Moon Knight is right? going to be huge, whether it's good or bad. The Northman is an exciting prospect. Knives Out 2, which like has a especially fun twist since he wasn't in Knives Out 1. Um, yeah. I don't know what Leave the World Behind is, but like the, these other two, Leave the World Behind and Raymond and Ray, like have really interesting cast and crew makeup. So, yeah, I mean, Leave the World Behind is Sam Ismail directing, who is uh, Mr. Robot. So, oh, yeah. Okay. You cool. know, that alone, you got Julia Roberts. And so, Julia Roberts worked with Ismail on Homecoming, right? Which was a pretty good show based on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And Mahershala Ali, Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, pretty good. I'll take that. Promising. It's a family drama, so okay. I mean, sure, whatever. That sounds sounds good to me. <laughs> um, and then yeah, for me, um, like I've seen, like I said, I've seen most Ethan Hawke movies, so there's a lot to recommend. I mean, I would say recently I did like the Coriata movie, The Truth. I just watched for this podcast. Um, I did like. Man, I was so Cat- disappointed in that. Were you? I still liked so it. I mean, it's not it's not great, but I did enjoy it. Uh, Deneuve, Julia Binoche, and him. It's a fun combination um, for sure. It's a fun. I liked combo. I liked Tesla a lot more. Yeah, Tesla he's very was fun. fun. Yeah, I him and Tesla. him and Emma Radar are just like a good combo. Which I just noticed they've got another movie coming out too tonight at noon. Yeah, tonight at, tonight at noon has been long. I don't know if that's a movie there. That might I could be wrong. That might be a movie they're filming. 
in a boyhood type of a way, or it's just like a lingering release. Um, but Almerita, though, yeah, they did Cymbeline, they did Hamlet, they did Tesla, right? Tesla, yeah, I agree with you. Very good movie, I'd recommend. Um, and then even like, yeah, I basically like the stuff he's directed a lot. I really liked Maggie's Plan, uh, the Rebecca Miller movie. I yeah, liked quite a bit. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, and last thing I'll just say, keeping it more modern, I love his Chet Baker movie. Boy, I'm so glad that was going to be the one I was going to call out. He he plays Chet Baker. I love Chet Baker. I love Chet Baker, the musician. Um, if you know anything about him and, and his music, uh, it's a great performance. It's a very good movie. Um, yeah, and that, yeah. So those are the ones. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. That that one deserves more love. Honestly, uh, Born to Be Blue. Very, very. I still haven't seen Blaze, but everyone like. I feel like Blaze really is loves good. Blaze. I think I'm gonna yeah. like Blaze a lot. You're gonna like Blaze. Yeah, Blaze I love is good. Austin, and I love music, and that's definitely a Ethan <laughs> Hawke staple. <laughs> you just reminded me of the line from Funny People: "Is like uh, when when Seth Rogen turns to Audrey Plaza, is like, do you like music?" And she's like, "Did you just ask me if I liked music? That's like asking somebody if they like food." <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Blaze is good. Um, he directed that, and then yeah, you can obviously follow me at DJ Mecca and. Uh, uh, Connor, I'll pass it over to you as always. Yeah, uh, I'm glad we finally got to do this. Obviously, Hall oh my God, Luke! Yeah. Happy Big this happened. So, Luke, thank you That's for funny. joining us. I did want to mention one of the things that I think wraps up Hawk's whole thing is just a like a really sincere lack of vanity. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. which I think is kind of what what really drives like everything home at the end of the day for him. Um, and uh so yeah i'm just i'm glad really glad we got to finally talk about him because we love him so much um i i saw him once like this is one of the reasons i feel like i live next to him i've seen him at a lot of places like liquor stores and bars and things like that but one time i was like playing basketball at a place a couple blocks away and he was there with his son and mm. they were like shooting around and he was just he was ethan hawk dad character <laughs> and he wasn't hiding it. He was yelling. There were like 10 of us shooting around and like he was yelling. And his son was like, oh, I, I, I really like this girl and blah, 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 blah. And he was like, well, you know, son, like life's difficult like that. You don't always get the girl. And like just giving this like sage dad advice. Oh, I love and I was that like, that, but to your point about the lack of vanity, he was just so not caring about yeah. what was going on around him. He was just like and enjoying this way... moment with his son. Even, 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 you know, I mentioned to you guys off mic, but I saw him speak last night about his new book and in a way that like, it doesn't feel like bullshit. Like it doesn't. Yeah. Feel, yeah. It, it, it's like, a, a, and that's what I mean by it. it just feels like a very sincere lack of vanity that like doesn't feel smug or put on or anything like that. But, yeah. uh, but anyway, so really thrilled we got to talk about him because look, he can, Hawk talk. He hawk talk. He can talk talk the talk. He can walk the walk. He can hawk the hawk. Uh, But but yeah, thank you all out there for listening. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Scruffy Look, and you can follow this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B-Side. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening. It helps us out a great deal. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can shoot us an email at bside at thefilmstage.com and look, as, as everything goes on, just enjoy yourselves out there and if things are getting a little too loud, just remember to whisper, whisper, whisper. 